What's up, everybody? It is your boy, Kevin Kelly, towards the end of summer, talking to you on yet another podcast, where it was this number four, not yet at the 10, that is required to make sure that I don't fade into obscurity in podcast world, but we're steady plugging ahead. Uh, What have I been up to lately, man? It has been obviously a surreal summer. I've been back for a couple weeks now, but it feels like maybe a week since the whole White House, New York trip. That stuff just took so much energy and took so much out of me that I've just been trying to keep up ever since. It's been a lot of orders uh, coming through, thankfully, which is nice. Uh, but I'm also, you know, just reflecting on everything that happened and 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 actually writing an article. I don't know if I've said that um, that may or may not be published. Uh, in a news uh, publication. So that's taken a lot of time. It's been a while since I've done some creative writing or even just journalistic writing or diary writing. And uh, it's it's harder than you think, <laughs> for sure, just like everything is. Um, aside from that, just enjoying the summer. I think today is the one of the last days of summer if you're going back to school. I don't anticipate any listeners of this podcast are in that uh, age range, hopefully not. And um, yeah, I don't know. Things are winding down. The heat is still hot, but you can kind of feel a little break in the air sometimes. Maybe not in St. Louis, but I'm guessing in other places you can. And uh, life is just going well, generally speaking. Um, I did see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I really want to talk about that with someone. Uh, and in general, I want these podcasts to probably start coming out much quicker to the date that they were recorded. This one was recorded a couple months ago and you know, it's just been a crazy summer, so I haven't been able to get it out, but, and thankfully there isn't much that we talk about in here that is really time sensitive, but moving forward, I think it's important to have the interviews and get them out within a week or two, if at all possible. It is a lot of work. I do listen to these in total every time I do one just so I can make the notes. Um, I'm not even sure if people are even using the notes, but for me, it's just kind of a, you know, an obsessive uh, way to log the subjects that we talk about so that if I talk to these people again, I can always refer back on topics that we maybe touched on before uh, without having to listen to to the whole podcast. So I enjoy it, um, but it is time-consuming. That being said, the podcast you're listening to right now is with my good friend Sid Sunta. He is a a dynamic personality. The conversation's real fast, funny, quick-moving. I think it was a pleasure to listen to even being a part of it, so hopefully that translates well to everyone else. He uh, was involved in the music industry before quitting that and getting into the cooking industry and becoming a chef. Uh, then he started working with food truck scene in Seattle when it was just a handful of trucks uh, before it has now blown up to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, he's also stepped away from that now to start up his own product. Uh, it's Ballyhoo Hot Sauce. It's fantastic. I've had it. You should order some on the internet immediately. Um, and Sid just talks about his own kind of philosophy about that growing up in St. Louis. And it's super interesting. I hope you enjoy it right here on the 004 episode of the Anti-Podcast. 
Sid Sunta. Sunta. Is that correct? That is correct. My my real last name is Sunta Ravathana. Sunta Ravathana. And then my parents shortened it when they came to the States from Sri Lanka. Good grief. Um, Sid, uh, is that, did they pick that? Or is that a name that you picked? Uh, my real first name is Sunthish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in high school, I was a big Pink Floyd fan. <laughs> and the uh, original lead singer of Pink Floyd was Sid Barrett. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, actually, what happened was, so when I was in a band and I would book events, uh, I'd be like, hey, my name's Sunthish, call me back. And like, no one would ever call me back because <laughs> they were just, I think they were just scared to butcher it. As soon as I was like, oh, I'll just, I think it started where this going to be like a fake name to book events. And uh, I'd be like, hey, uh, this is Sid from this band, like, call me back. And people would call me back. So it just kind of stuck. <laughs> And your friends called you Suntis growing up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't until like 20, mid 20s that you started going by Sid or early uh, 20s? It, it, end of high school. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and then you have another brother, Seth, right? Yep. And how long has he been going by that? Uh, a little bit. After, uh, I don't know. Probably, yeah. He's like, this is working out for you? Yeah, so. it's working out for me. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's just kind of a, a thing that drives uh, foreign, like first generation parents crazy because like, yeah. they, they, they want to bring their culture to this country and, and then us asshole kids are like, I want McDonald's. I want to change my name to David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do they ever call you Sid or no? No, no. Not at all. Uh, not at all. Okay. I, I think my parents and maybe like two other people call me by my real name. Is that me squeaking or you? One of our chairs sounds like a rubber ducky. That's you. That's me. Okay, just watch that. We don't want people thinking we're... Uh... we're fucking ducks. <laughs> no, no, it's funny because I remember yesterday when I came to your house and I ran into your parents and I'm like, oh, we're friends with Sid. And I'm like, wait a minute. Do they even know who that is? And of course you text your dad and you're like, I don't know who's at the door. So thanks for that. Yep. Um, I've known you now for probably... I was thinking about that the other day, like 15 years. Jesus. Uh, met you through friends of friends, good friends of mine that I've grown up with in my 20s. And um, you, the first time I met you, I think was at a party at your apartment, and <laughs> you were getting rid of all your old band shit. So, like, I guess your band Alter yep. didn't exist any longer, yep. and you had a box full of T-shirts and CDs. And you're like, come and get it. Yeah, I, I believe that. <laughs> I uh, I don't think, there was no ill will. Uh, I don't think it was like, oh, I, I want this out of my life. I think... You know, I, I ran it like a business, and I probably just ordered way too much shit. And uh, at that point, I was probably just drunk, and I was like, oh, some, <laughs> I don't know. Someone needs a shirt to sleep in. Go for it. It was great. I wore it until I could not wear it anymore. <laughs> nice. Because I started to get a little too thick. But um, And then after that, I think we just came, stayed in touch through yep. those same friends. Yep. And I don't know. I think we – I remember talking to you all the time, but like – or not all the time, but pretty regularly and knowing what you were up to, yep. knowing that you were moving, when you were moving, the different jobs that you were getting interested into. Um, but the first thing that like, obviously I knew that you were doing was in the music realm, sure. correct? Yep. And doing promotions and booking? Uh, so I, my first, like I always knew I wanted to, to work in the music industry when I was early on. I think the book, uh, uh, Get in the Van by Henry Rollins, uh, changed my life well it was two things it was, it was getting the van by henry rollins and then i remember i don't know probably like junior high i went to go see weird al at the uh westport plaza yeah. uh, funny bone yeah. um <laughs> and uh i remember me and my buddy brian Furdict, uh we went and got pizza near the 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 funny bone um and i remember seeing a guy like two guys and they had a laminate on it's the first time I've ever seen a laminate and like, I don't know. Like those backstage passes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know, what's, what's junior high? How old are you? Like 12, 13? Whatever. Yeah. 
uh, and I just remember like, wow, like these guys get to Legit. tour. They're touring with the band. And <laughs> they, they probably get to watch sound check. And I just remember thinking like, my, like I told my buddy, I was like, we should buy him pizza. Yeah. Like maybe we can get backstage. <laughs> not even knowing that like now that I've toured and stuff, backstage is like just a place where people hang out. It's not fun. But, but I don't know. I remember seeing that. And I was like, that's interesting. And then the Henry Rollins book. But in the day, you know, like when you're a kid, backstage is, it seems like the most fun place oh, in yeah, the world. Oh yeah, absolutely. I remember Mississippi Nights, and <laughs> you just like got glimpses of backstage. Yep, yep. Like and you see the curtain. Or yeah, whatever yeah, it is. yeah, yeah. And then it was like uh, my friend would perform, and then he'd come out showered. I'm like, yeah. is there a shower back there? <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, there's angels that shower you. And, yeah. <laughs> and then being backstage, yeah, I, I was in bands as well, and it was just there's nothing glamorous about them. One of yeah. the coolest ones was probably. Duck Room at Blueberry Hill. Mm, yeah. And it just felt like you knew Chuck Berry was hanging out there every <laughs> single month, at least, yep. performing. And it just was very, very comfortable. Yep. You know, it wasn't yep. like gross. There wasn't a billion stickers and questionable right. stains <laughs> yeah, everywhere. Yeah, 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 totally. So that one kind of lived up to the hype that I was hoping for. I'm sure that there's other amazing... Uh, House, House of Blues nationwide is always an amazing backstage experience. But but as far as like what you picture is happening and like, mm -hmm. you know, tons of girls and blow and whatever, it's, <laughs> it's literally like... Uh, I'm so over touring. Yeah, I just want to like plug in my computer and like talk zone to my out. family and zone out and and watch Netflix or whatever you know. Uh, but yeah, so so early on, um, I don't know music industry stuff. Uh, so so my first real thing was um, a company called Streetwise. Uh, uh, they're a promotion company. I don't really remember how I got signed up with them, but they were located out of L.A. and they basically would send you stuff like. Cassette. Did you go to school for? Uh, this industry or what? Uh, no, no, okay. hard knocks. Uh, yeah, uh, which is funny. I'll talk about that later. But okay. um, but yeah, so like this company that send you cassettes and postcards and stuff, and they would just basically early on, it's just you did it for free. Yeah, and you go to a show and you hand out stuff, uh, and then they start like paying for your concert tickets. Like, hey, go to this show, hand out this specific thing. Um, oh, I remember that. Yeah, and, yeah, and uh, I don't know. I just I literally had a trunk full of like random stuff and. Uh, I remember making videos for it and, and yeah, I really, really, uh, enjoyed it. I remember the first band they signed was a band called System of a Down. Uh, oh my God. and I remember like having like their demos and stuff like that. <laughs> they would send us stuff and, uh, it was just really cool. Cause you kind of felt a part of it. Like there's bands like Slipknot and Linkin Park and you know, all these things where you like, no one's heard of them and you get the cassettes first yeah. and, and your job is to be a very small part of you know, making them big and you see it happen in front of you with over like two years. And well, back in the day it was integral. Yeah. To like absolutely. having a band reach yep. any sort of popularity. It was the yep. street team putting up flyers. Yep. I mean, nowadays I don't think that people even think about that kind of stuff. Like yeah, I, yeah. I don't even look at flyers yeah. ever. Yeah. No, it's, but you know, when you're walking around like the loop or any other area that you were in, you like, oh, oh, that flyer looks dope. What's coming up? Yeah, exactly. Next week? Yeah, the, oh. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, you know, I don't want to sound like an old man, but before, like, online and Spotify, whatever, it's like, you know, there was a little more interest. Like, you saw a cool flyer. Yeah. Like, let's go try to find that. Let's go see him live. It's Tuesday night. I got nothing going on. Let's go to the show. Where now I'm an old man. I'm like, that sounds awful. Like, if, <laughs> right. a, if a buddy of mine's like, hey, you want, I got an extra ticket to the show. I'm like, no, I don't want to go see a band I never heard of. Man, even, uh, Big bands, I have to summon the energy now. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it's just like, I got to stand for like two fucking hours. Yep. <laughs> I don't know if I really want to do that. Is it going to be good? My hearing, I'm a little con uh, conservative with now because I had a hearing injury. Sure. Yep. And so I'm always wearing big earplugs. And so the, the music always sounds a little muffled anyways yep. as well. So it's, 
Yeah, I know. We do sound like two it, old it, ass men, but we're only in our thirties. Well, it's completely different now because uh, I have a buddy who uh, he manages a band called Tiger Army, which you know I I don't know too much about them, but I think they're kind of in the punk era, uh, you know, genre. And he was saying that um, you know he's talking to them. He's like, you have to understand that for our demographic, for someone to come see us, that could be like a three hundred dollar night. Yeah. Sure, the tickets are just twenty five bucks, but you know, for me and my wife, we just got, I just got get up t- uh, kids tickets. Tickets for like forty seven bucks. Yeah. But then you got the babysitter. Yep. Like they don't go on until eight o'clock. Oh no no. The, the sh- <laughs> sorry. Doors are seven. Shows at eight. They're probably not going on until ten. So this is a nightmare for me. <laughs> um, but you know, so like you got six or seven hours of a babysitter. Yeah. You're going down there. You might as well get dinner. Um, if you're drinking, you know that's right. You know. It adds up straight. quick. Yeah, and then you get the shirt. So yeah, it's a three hundred dollar night. Your parking in Seattle is oh, four yeah. bucks an oh, hour, yeah. which oh, is crazy. Yeah. Uh, four <laughs> bucks a minute. Um, <laughs> And, and yeah, so just, it's just, you kind of pick and choose the way you, like, you know, when I was in St. Louis is like, oh, I've heard of half of their song. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to this show. And now yeah. it's like, okay, no, it's a thing. It's a thing to go out. One thing I always talk about is how much bad music I would continue to listen to <laughs> because it costs so much money to get music. Sure. So like yeah, you, you yeah. would go, I would go to CD warehouse and yep. like, oh, there's a used one for five ninety nine The yep. cover art is kind of interesting. I may have heard of them in some... MTV thing at late at night, I'll pick it up. Sure. And then you listen to it. You listen to the whole thing and it ends and then you start over again and then you start over again. You just keep listening to yeah. it for like a week before you're like, I don't even like this. <laughs> but but and I, nowadays, paid, I paid the five ninety nine, so I'm gonna give it a chance. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen I'm gonna get to six hundred pennies worth of I'm gonna listen music. to the two dollars of this before I go back and sell it back to them yeah. again for three ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> now yeah. it's like you if you don't if I don't like something, I'm just gonna immediately turn it off. Yep. And Go on Spotify, hit Discover Weekly, yep. and there's probably like 50 new artists engineered, literally yep. analytically engineered to what I've been listening to sure. that I'm a fan of, that I've created my own playlist for. And it's so easy to find good music now. Like I find more new good music without even trying yep. than I ever did when I was younger and hungrier for it. Sure. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword do, for do sure. Do you think technology has helped or hurt? music i think it's both obviously and you know with everything um you know it's like man i also when people do deep digging like for records mm-hmm. 45s yep. it's amazing how good the music is and you can find stuff that no one has ever heard yep, of absolutely so when you start to think about that it's like these people were badass musicians put out uh albums and 45s and singles that no one ever heard <laughs> they didn't get popular. Yep. And now you're just finding them again and, you know, potentially incorporating into a mix or whatever. Yep. And now it's so easy to make the music that I feel that it is um the problem of overpopulation. Absolutely. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. So like any ding dong that has an idea, yep. there's no barrier to entrance anymore. Yeah. yeah. So that's good and bad. I mean, sure. it allows people that um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, it's it's a it's a tricky question. Yeah, you know, yeah. who who is the guy that was the big uh, Kurt Cobain influence? The just had a Daniel something. He had an acoustic guitar. He just wrote songs on his own. He might have had mental issues. Daniel Johnston or Johnson I'm or something. Familiar, yeah. But he just made all these like four track things, mm-hmm. and you know, never really did much with them until I don't know the whole story. But I I think like. I'm waiting for more of that kind of stuff. Sure. And I just don't know if it'll ever come back that way because now. If you are good, you get hopped on super quick. You think? What? What do you mean? There's uh, a, there's a record label for every sound now. Sure. And it, it's hard for 
it, it's different. You're creating these different kinds of um, niche sub labels for new music that's starting because it's basically just fusion. Right. Everything feels like fusion. It doesn't really. I can't imagine what the next new sounding trend is. <laughs> sure. Because it's but all when you say big, together. you mean as far as like play like plays on Spotify or like because it's definitely not money. Like no one's making money right now. Right. Well, they're only you know they're making money on the live shows and right. merch. Right. Um, right. Which has kind of always been the case, in some ways, because the record labels were always fucking over the artists to begin with. Uh. Yeah. I mean. The. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I mean, it's both ways. Like there's smaller bands that got. You know, put they up get the big albums. and yeah, then you yeah. resign. Right, right, right. You get right, better right. royalties yeah, and everything. Yeah. yeah, no, it's interesting. Like, I think I think the best example of like too much media. Um, I love Arrested Development and this podcast. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, like take something like Arrested Development. For years, all we wanted was a fourth season. Yeah. You know, and that's you know, I remember seeing the sign of like, uh, you know, Obama bring back Arrested Development. You know, at some <laughs> protest or something like that. And we finally got it. Yeah. And what did people say? Oh, it's awful. It's garbage. Like, yeah. it's not that great. Uh, I think the main reason is the first three seasons, we had a DVD. We watched it hundreds of times. Yeah. This one, it was just in the queue. You watched it in one day and then on to the next thing. And you didn't yes. take the time to uh, catch certain jokes that sometimes just aren't, you know, right in front of you. Yeah. Um, I was talking about this in my last podcast, actually, with the distribution of content and how I think that... Um, Netflix is doing a disservice to the content. Sure. And HBO's got it down mm -hmm. because they're creating a cultural movement. People are talking about it at the same time. Uh, the same conversations going on, the awareness is higher. So I don't I don't even understand how they potentially think that it's good to just dump all the content right. at once and for people to absorb it. Yeah. It I, doesn't I, make any sense to yeah, me. Yeah, and I don't think HBO is necessarily doing anything new. They're just doing what TV what, what has. they've always done. Right. Yeah. Um but yeah, it just it's I am just in shock of how much good stuff as, you know, stuff like uh, what Howard American Summer, you know, yeah. and, and just these things are just gifts. Yeah. And I feel like if this was 20 years ago, 10 years ago, like I would have watched any of these things hundreds of times. But now it's like, <laughs> no, on to the next, next. Like, let's go. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a that's a larger. I don't know if it's a problem, but it's definitely something to be concerned about. Yeah. You know, I mean, if we we lock we look at like how much content we had back in the 80s and 90s constantly playing vcrs yep. go down to the thing you know your parents stay away from the tv you've seen the shit before <laughs> yeah, yeah. now it's so instant gratification yep. you can watch whatever you want that suits your specific interest yep. any time of day whenever you want to you know i mean it it's scary in a way because i do think that people um can just decide i mean they can always decide to be lazy that's not a new idea <laughs> But they can just lock themselves off from other people. Yeah. So it does create kind of little tribes of people yep. that don't care what anyone else has to yeah. say about. It's like an echo chamber. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um. Yeah. And so it's 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 double edged. On one side, like I am, uh, I think about my daughters, and what they're going to be like with just like you can have anything you want right now. Yeah. You know, uh, in different you know with as a toy collector, it's like I used to have to like go to toy shows to find stuff, and now it's like I can go on Amazon or yeah, at eBay, whatever. And so, but then at the same time, like, are we just old? Like, didn't our parents say the same thing about cassettes and, you know? Yeah, but uh, the world hadn't vastly changed. Right. Like, so there is a, I used to go to like baseball card conventions. Yeah, which, absolutely. You know, is hilarious because I don't remember which comedian said that at a certain point you realize you're just collecting pictures of men. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Seinfeld. Yeah. And, um, 
And but you know, like you interact with people, you right. talk with people, you shake yep. their sweaty hands, you barter with them for the new Jose Canseco yep. uh, flare card or whatever. <laughs> and um, now it's all done without ever seeing people. So I I understand why like anxiety is rising. Yeah, people don't know how to interact with each other. They don't know how to talk to each other. Absolutely. They can just live in the virtual world for real now. Yep. Like I remember when the net came out and it's like, <laughs> oh my God, Sandra Bullock just ordered a pizza online. <laughs> That'll never happen. And now it's like, we've been doing it for the past Why 10 would years. I ever call Papa John's? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, something interesting happened the other day where uh, I'm working in front of a food truck and uh, there's some item that I, could, I overheard the guy that's like a foot away from me saying, or like yeah. two feet away. He's like, I don't know what that is. And he's talking to his buddy. And I'm standing right there. I go, hey, yeah, let me know if you have any questions. And instead of asking me the question, he just looks up, looks it up online. And he's like talking to his friends, like, oh, this is like the difference between like jambalaya and gum or whatever it was, you know. Okay. And I'm just like, bro, I am right here. This is literally <laughs> my job. Yeah. And I don't know. It's I'm I'm gonna file it under, you know, this is just not what we grew up with, so we're not comfortable with it. And yeah. And just like our parents did with whatever we were into, you know, slap bracelets or you know. Well, on um, the other hand, it's so funny to me when people go. Um, you know, when if you're talking to them or texting them and they're like, what is that? It's like, for the love of God, you have the world of knowledge right. one app away. Yeah. Yep. All you got to do is Google it. Yeah. And then it's funny, too. Like, people ask you something and you Google it and you respond back and you're like, yeah. how do you know that? <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me, man? <laughs> let, let me Google that for you. It's my favorite website of all time. Oh, I use it all. <laughs> what is it? L-M-T-G-F-Y? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, I feel like we would be talking about pop culture and internet shit for the next four hours. Sure. <laughs> I, I do want to touch upon like how you are Sid Santa today. Sure. What you're doing. Yeah. I want to get into that before we just keep talking forever sure. and ever. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, I guess, I guess I'll just start off like early on with just, I mean, I'm built as someone that doesn't like to be comfortable. I yeah. like to keep on moving. I like to do the next, next, um, you know, I don't know if this matters, but like, you know, I worked at, Early on, I worked at like Buffalo Wild Wings, yeah. and I remember starting as a line or like as a cook. Then I was like, Chick Fil A too, right? Like yeah, Chris? Chick, like yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I still love Chick Fil A. Um, but too. but uh, you know, like started as a line cook, then kitchen manager, and I remember like this is St. Louis, Missouri, in you know two thousands. So yeah. it's like the last thing Buffalo Wild Wings is a brown dude server. <laughs> like I was against all odds. Because, you know, it, it's a different time and, and people want to see like a big titty blonde white chick serve you at the chicken <laughs> shack, you know, and, and that's just that was just the reality. Um, and I remember I became a server, then like became a bartender. And like I, me I remember I was making like, you know, 250 bucks a night. Like, yeah. Crazy money. That's good money. Great money for St. Louis. Like I could buy a house in what I'm making a night. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, you know, what's a good idea. Let me go live in a van with a bunch of sweaty dudes in a band for 10 bucks a day. <laughs> and that just seems so much more fun than making 250 bucks a day serving Bud Lights to douchebags. Um, well, once you get over the fear of having to make money and the fear of not absolutely. having money yep. and realize how easy it is to come by, yep. then it's like, I want to do other stuff that makes way less money. I don't yep. even care. Absolutely. Because it's my life. I may die tomorrow. I want to go sure. out happy. And I, I just love the gamble. <laughs> like, I'd rather have a job that you know, either pays anywhere from like 50 to 150 grand than have a job that pays a hundred grand, you know, like yeah. just like on a daily basis or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, so basically I just jumped in a van. I, uh, I toured with, uh, different bands from St. Louis. Yeah. Um, and, uh, then started, so I started making 10 bucks a day, literally working 14 hours a day. I'd tour yeah. manage, I'd, I'd sell t-shirts. Um, 
uh, I did a little bit of booking, um, then started working with bigger bands like My Chemical Romance, The Used, Story of the Year, you know, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, was it easy to get into? I mean, I know you're a fast talker, you're, you're a magnetic personality. (laughs) So like people just drawn to you, um, was, you know, was that just at your disposal? Yeah. I mean, it, uh, and where did that even come from? Like, (laughs) like how did you, how did you, um, where did you start to like pick up on your personality forming and like, was it in grade school or, you know, were you a kid or were you like, um, you know, it's funny. Like there's a story about like two kids playing around in a, in a barn and they both fall down and one of them, like it's mud over his face and the other kid, uh, sees him and like runs to the bathroom, washes his face, even though he doesn't have any mud on his face. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about growing up as like the only brown dude in St. Louis. Like, uh, so growing up, I was just like, I'm surrounded by white people. And well, like, specifically where you were in Chesterfield. Yeah, in Chesterfield. Sure, yeah. sure. Uh, and so I just kind of assimilated to what all the other white people were doing. And then like, I don't know, sometime I was like, no, I am different. It's okay yeah. to be different. Um, you know, I want to say the racism in St. Louis, like in 2000 or mm-hmm. like after 9-11, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> it was just different. And you just got used to it. And it's kind of a sad, like now we're- But little, you've been confused as black too, right? Oh, absolutely. Like all the time. <laughs> yeah, all the time. Um, and it's just St. Louis. And, uh, you know, as so at a certain point, I was like, no, I am different. Let's use this to my favor. So it's like, you know, with touring bands, when they come, you know, they see hundreds of people a night and, yeah. and you know, you see a, a a lead singer or something like that a couple of times. Like, oh, I remember this dude because mm. he's the brown dude in St. Louis. And it's fucking kinda, hilarious. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> you know, you just kind of use that to your advantage. And, and that's basically what it was. So, like, I would see bands, you know, on tour or like I would be with a smaller band tour and they'd be opening for a bigger band. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I would just kind of like, I like to party. And so a lot of times I'd be like more popular than like the band I was touring with. Like as far as like the after parties and stuff like that, I remember, uh, uh, well, you realize that you stuck out maybe as a kid and then you're like, instead of like, um, man, I, it sucks that I stick out. You're like, this is great that I stick out because people are going to remember me more so than the dirty white kids that I'm hanging out with. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, I just used that to my advantage and, uh, yeah, just kind of climbed the ladder. So, mm-hmm. so you know, ten bucks a day to like, oh wow, I'm making fifty bucks a day to, yeah. oh wow, I'm on a bus now, and and uh, now I have per diems, and they're paying for my food and hotels, and um, so same thing, climbed that ladder, and I go, okay, I'm at the top of the ladder. What's next? Uh, one of the bands from St. Louis I was touring with, uh, a band called Adair, uh, they were managed by uh, a company called Freeze, who also managed like The Used and Story of the Year and some bigger bands. Uh, they did a bunch of festivals. Uh, so I kind of talked to them. I was like, hey, listen, I tour managed this band for 10 bucks a day for like a year. Mm-hmm. Give me a shot. Uh, this guy, John Oakes, uh, flew me out to California, let me stay at his house, and I just interned for a while, uh, learning the ropes. And uh, So this is over a span of like seven or eight years of like, touring coming back like maybe bartending making enough money to afford to go work for free uh and then and then basically at that point i would say the music industry kind of collapsed where yeah. that was like just right at the height of like downloads and all this stuff so what year was this probably like oh <sighs> seven yeah somewhere around there okay. um yeah yeah and uh so john oaks the ultimate hustle guy he's just like okay no one's buying albums how do we make money and he was really good at kind of coming up with new ideas. Some of them flopped. Some of them were really great. Uh, he really got to sponsorships. So I think he, I just learned a lot from him about, okay, you don't have to take one path. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no guaranteed anything. You look at anything in the world, uh, it's, you know, with what we were talking about earlier, it's going to get outdated. And there's, 
there's no such thing as like, you know, I mean, I'm sure a dude that owned a hardware store for a hundred years was like, cool, my parents owned this and now I'm going to own this. And this is, this is how we're going to make our income. And then Amazon comes along and now I don't need to go to the store to get a screw. <laughs> well, now it's, it's yeah. almost like a quaint activity. It's like, right. yeah, I'm right. going to, I'm going to go down to the old hardware store and yep. pick out some stuff exactly. and help this guy out. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like, um, it's almost like capitalistic um, philanthropy. Yeah, like, exactly. I gotta go support local, shop totally. local. <laughs> so, so I think I, you know, with with working that hard to get to that point, and then it just not happening for me, mm-hmm. I just kind of learned. Okay, you gotta learn how to pivot, mm-hmm. and you gotta learn how, you know, that nothing's gonna last forever. There's no easy street with the way I want to do things. I, you know, I never want to go to college and get the, you know, white picket fence and all that stuff. Um, so. So yeah, basically, as I'm watching the music collapse, uh, the music industry, uh, one of the last bands I toured with, The Used, the singer was really into cooking. And so... What's his name, Bert? Uh, Bert, Bert McCracken. Yeah. So on days off, like I remember we'd just rent a house and like on the beach and like me and him would just cook all day. And I was like... And I always cooked like, you know, at Chick-fil-A and Buffalo Wild Wings, but this was like... Like he knew a lot about like kind of more fine dining and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, wow, this is fun. This is not dropping a bunch of like frozen chicken in a fryer. This is creating something i just remember the feeling of like we you know me and bert we cooked for like i don't know 20 people that were on the tour and just like uh like all the angry uh stage guys that never talked to the young guys like the next day like hey what's up chef like oh you know like and it just i just saw it kind of bring people together It, it it was awesome so literally kind of left the music industry jumped into culinary school i don't know i was like 23 24 went to the where was that uh that was in orange county at the art institute uh culinary school of something something i don't know how was that was that you know i the only culinary institute stories i'm familiar with are bourdain yeah um and, and that so, was specific to like french i believe right cuisine. Yeah. so that's funny you say that so the way i want to tour because of henry ron's book mm-hmm. i would say there's two books that changed my life uh get in the van by henry ron's and then uh kitchen confidential yeah by bourdain i just uh, read that for the uh, first time last year and it's funny so both those books are based saying this these industries suck Mm-hmm. Turning a van mm-hmm. sucks. Mm-hmm. Cooking sucks. And I'm like, I want that. That sounds so punk rock and fun. Um, <laughs> so, so, uh, culinary school was interesting. They take anyone's money, uh, <laughs> and you have to, you get what you put into it. So there's a lot of people just early on that's like, oh man, why do we got to learn all this? Like, like science stuff. You're not you know, just like you have to take a bunch of classes for you and pick up a knife. Like yeah. this is why you cut everything at the same size. So it cooks evenly and just all these little like basic culinary skills uh tools that you need um where i i'm like you know what i'm paying for this i'm gonna get everything i can out of it so i took old extra classes um i did my homework uh you know and i was hungry for it a lot of these and it's you know culinary school there's people fresh out of high school and then there's like 75 year old guys are like i just want to do this for fun so it's a it's a wide you know array of people and you get what you put into it so were you uh how'd you support yourself (laughs) <laughs> so uh actually i end up i you'd rather not talk about it. no 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 <laughs> <laughs> so actually uh this is probably one of the looking back at it i'm happy i, I went through this mm-hmm. but i worked two 40-hour jobs so i worked at uh uh let's see i worked at my favorite job of all time this place called haven gastropub in orange uh california uh gastropub kind of place and then um night i worked at uh, uh like a fancy italian place Went to school on top of that, and then on I think Sundays or Saturdays, I'd drive to LA and do a stage at um, 
at a, a place called Sona uh, mm-hmm. that was like a Michelin star restaurant. Um, and a stage for people that don't know is just like kind of you work. You yeah, work for free. Work for free. Yeah, and uh, you hope to learn some stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, basically like, I don't know, I think I was doing like 15 or 20 hours of school, 80 hours of work, mm-hmm. stage. Uh, wait, wait, wait. So yeah, do the 80 math. hours of work. And then how, what time were you going to school? Just in the morning? Uh, well, I mean, I I worked on the weekends. Like I do like, a, you know, a 17 hour shift on okay. the weekends okay. and, and yeah, then yeah. whatever. So I, I don't know. I remember how I got through it, but like yeah. it just, you just do what you have to do at that point. Well, you're um, driven. Yeah. I mean, and, it was something that was interesting to you at right. that point. And so finally. it never, you know, I, I'm very grateful. I want to say I, I don't really think I've worked many days in my life. You know, like everything I do, it's like, oh yeah, I get a paycheck for this. I forgot about that. You know, <laughs> um, but California was interesting because that was probably the brokest, like as much work as I was doing, it's the brokest I've ever been. Yeah. Um, Were you living in a house with like a bunch of other yeah. people? Oh yeah. 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 Craigslist house. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but with those 80 hours, as, as a cook in California, you make 10 bucks an hour. Yeah. That's just it. Um, so you're doing like high end shit, but you're still making 10 bucks an hour, which they don't really tell you about in culinary school. They don't tell you that when you get out of culinary school, just so you know, you're making 10 bucks an hour if you're lucky. So, um, that's crazy. Yeah. Like there's no other, uh, trade like that. Like you want to go learn how to weld stuff. Yeah. You get out and you start making 75 bucks an hour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cooking <laughs> is the hardest. Like, I think they say, you know, it's like, as far as stress levels and stuff, it's like doctor, then chefs, you know, um, how come I, tips are not pooled with the cooking staff? I've never understood that. Um, because the waiters are just bringing the food sure. to the table. Uh, I mean, we can go on about this for and a while. And upselling, and right, you know, I right. get all that. But um, And they're prettier. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the tipping culture is bullshit. Yeah. I think it's inherently racist. I think it's... Wow. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It, you know, the, the number one argument you hear about like, oh... Oh, well, if you take all the tips or you just eliminate tips and raise the pricing of food, people say, well, what's the server's uh, reason to do a good job? Yeah. And I want to punch those people in the face because what is the cook's reason for doing a good job? Right. Because they want to do it. Yeah. Because they need the job. It's like it, tipping stupid. Like, it is stupid. Because you're, you know, if you're someone like me and you, you always feel the need to tip 20% no matter what. Yes. Yeah. So. You know, I went to restaurants recently where it's like I got awful service, but it's like you know this is what we do. So if I, we're automatically going to tip twenty percent no matter what happens, right? Why don't we just make it automatic? No, you know, either just raise the price in the food and say yep. no tipping allowed, uh, so that way the cooks can get health insurance. And, yep. Uh, the place so, we were at last night, the uh, Taylor Shellfish yep. Farms, they already had automatic gratuity. Yep. yep. Yeah. So and it's it's very hairy. Um, I have friends that own restaurants, so I got in trouble because of it because mm-hmm. it's it's very hairy of yeah. how you can distribute the tips and you know how much can go to the house and blah blah um so you just have to be really smart with your wording um is uh are there a lot of new places on the west coast starting to abolish uh tipping it's uh abolish is a strong word yeah (laughs) um so so i must say a couple years ago is really popular all the big guys in seattle like the ethan stoles and the josh henderson's they all started doing uh automatic gratuity that gets split evenly between everyone working these goddamn servers mm-hmm. bitched about it enough where everyone, they just went back to going, okay, cooks are going to get fucked. Is there a server's union? No, just they're like, we're not going to work. 
<laughs> like this sucks. Like yeah. for, for the last 20 years I've been serving. Uh, I, I, I go to a table. I write down what they want. I put in computer. Uh, the guy that was there four hours for me sweats behind a, you know, a flat top and, and puts it out. Uh, a runner takes it to the table. I later go, Hey, everything. Okay. Yeah. And then I drop a check. Oh wait, I'm not making 300 bucks a night doing that. Like <laughs> this is ridiculous. So, you know, and, and, and don't get me wrong. Um, I do not want to downplay what servers do, sure. uh, but I just want to see an even playing field between cooks and servers. Um, and my, my, my best example, the world's greatest restaurant, Canlis mm. in Seattle, they do, they do the same thing. They, I think they don't, don't quote me on this. One. I'm pretty sure they, they do automatic gratuity to get split between everyone and the servers at Canlis it's like watching like a scientist. Like they're so good at what they yeah. do. They know what you want before you order it. And they just, they, they know your expectations. And, and so I just want to say like, Oh, you're, you know, you're too good to split tips. Well go, can you be a server at Canlis? Cause I, I don't think you could. Um, yeah, so, there's a, there's a brewery that, that just opened up in St. Louis called Rockwell brewing mm-hmm. and they have no tips. Yeah. Like all uh, the, a beer in St. Louis, you know, granted it's a lot cheaper, uh, than the coast, but it's like a standard brewery cost for a beer is five bucks mm-hmm. in St. Louis. Uh, there's a six bucks. Yep. Maybe some of them are yep. seven, yep. you know, because they just put the tip in there. Yep. Same with a burger and fries. It's 10 or 11 bucks, which is still pretty cheap. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's just, there is no, uh, it's cool. And everybody that works there, it feels like they're almost more, more authentic yeah. in a way because they're not trying to like, they're not trying to hustle you. They're not flirting yeah. for yep. tips. Yep. Um, yep. you know, they're not like, Oh God, here, yeah. I'll hook you up. Here's a little shot of uh, Fernet yeah. or whatever, which, you know, as someone that's own restaurants, uh, that, that shit drives me crazy. The whole like, Oh, well, if someone hooks you up, yeah. you should tip them the cost of that. It's like, <laughs> how the fuck does that make sense? <laughs> right. You're taking money from the owner and, yeah. giving it to, and now you, I don't know that, that never made sense to me. Yeah. Um, that's true, uh, but man. they're risking their job. Well, fucking, I don't know. Um, <laughs> do so. Restaurants and bars don't have. Um, I mean, I'm sure they do, but they. Are you saying that they don't have like kind of a, a certain amount of booze set aside for regular patrons and people to get tips for? Like, oh, that's that's a restaurant by restaurant basis, and okay. the the markup on booze is so high. I'm saying, regardless of how you want to look at it, it's stealing. Yeah. Some some restaurants absolutely say like you have a comp like. Uh, uh, ticket and you can you know if you like this guy you can comp him whatever some but you know me and you have been to a bar where like uh they go hey by the way this is on me or like oh, yeah when they say that yeah, like yeah. i'll get this one for you it's and like, I'm like, are you getting it are or is really, the owner getting it are you really paying <laughs> yeah because i don't i don't see you pulling out your wallet to put that into the till uh so yeah i don't know i i would just like to see the whole culture change and and so it's funny when you bring up like the the brewery that just changed the pricing yeah it's so difficult in Seattle to do that because yeah. some people like the power of saying, no, I want a $5 burger and I want to tip that dollar or yeah. whatever it is. Um, and people get shocked. Like it's just the difference between a couple bucks is such a sticker shock. Oh my God. Yeah. It's well, you know that now with products too, you, yeah. you've got your own hot sauce yep. and, um, you know, for a long time I struggled with doing 99 cent pricing yep. or flat pricing. Yep. And then I'm like, I feel like 99 cent pricing isn't authentic. Yeah. I'm just going to go flat. Yep. And I don't care if it's, you know, I will still price some things in the inth. If it's like a $29 thing yep. or a $30 thing, I'll go $29, mm-hmm. um, which I don't feel is like inauthentic. It's just, you know, you're, you, it's not 30. Right, right, right. You're yeah. like, it's 29. Yep. But it's well, there's um, science behind that, sure. 
totally is. And uh, same with in restaurants, I guess, for sure. Yeah. People yeah, it's, will order less if things are more. I, I mean, I don't want to go on a huge tirade here, but yeah. it's food. It's so funny how food is the one thing that's the punching bag of, oh, that's too expensive. Right. Um, we live in this dichotomy of a city where these tech people, uh, the Amazons, the Microsofts, the Starbucks, whatever, all these huge corporations, all these people make six figures. Mm-hmm. They, raise, they raise the rent up. So... There's so many cooks that don't live in Seattle proper. They live in Tacoma. They live in Auburn. Uh, and they drive an hour to get to work because they can't afford 2400 a month uh, to live here. So I'll see naturally like food prices go up a little bit. But it's like the number one thing that people freak out about. Mm-hmm. Like people that work at Amazon, you know, uh, they have their Amazon badge and they come up. And when I owned uh, Brent Circuses, they'd be like, 12 bucks for a burger. Like I can go, I, McDonald's charges three. First of all, no, they don't. Like you can, st- like it still costs like fifteen bucks to eat lunch at McDonald's now. But you're just living in this like fantasy world of like, no, I remember this is how much fast food was. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit of like, oh, well, I can do this myself. More so yeah. with the food truck. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Food, uh, restaurants are a little bit different, uh, just because people are like in more of an atmosphere. Or yeah, they're mentally prepared for that. Right, yeah. and and uh, but these are the same people that you know our food truck will go to a concert. And serve where people are drinking eleven dollar beer. Oh my god! But then still bitching about like a little bit higher price on a burger, and um, which is crazy. Yeah, like because you know they won't. Be, you know at the at the stadium now, I think beers are fifteen dollars. Yep. Okay, sure. yeah, <laughs> for twenty four ounces of beer. <laughs> yep. You know, and then food really hasn't gone that crazy right. because people are like, no, 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 no. This is just the the, the beer base. Yeah, <laughs> which, which is kind of backwards because people are like, totally well, backwards. I need to drink. I need to have a beer, so I'm going to pay whatever. I don't have to eat. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just I you know I hear a lot of you know I don't think people just understand how food cost works. Right. And and ultimately, what you have to understand is. If I have a food truck and I want to buy a, sell you a pack of gum mm-hmm. and I buy it from the store for a dollar, I need to charge you four bucks. Yeah. Because food cost should be about 25%. Yeah. And a lot of times, like, well, I know how much these ingredients cost. And yeah. So just, it's a, it's an uphill battle. Um, and I've addressed it like via Facebook and stuff like that of just, this is how, it, this is the breakdown. And, sure. And sometimes when you break it down, people get it and they're cool about it. Um, and, and, but some people just, don't get it, then, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there should, uh, for everything I've ever read and watched, I don't know if, if Anthony Bourdain ever really talked about that in sp- mm-hmm. uh, specifically. And I think that is something important to talk about because, you know, it is something that has maintained kind of a lower price value, even though our tastes have gotten so much more yep. uh, bougie yep. as we yeah, get no, older. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what people expect. As a culture, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, uh, you get both sides of it. Your food's too expensive. Oh, by the way, how how local and organic? And <laughs> right. you know, it's like, it's like which one do you want? Yeah, it's you know, people say like cheap, fast, good. Pick two. Yeah. Um, yep. And and yeah, so my my dream, uh, if I ever did a restaurant, I just want like a, a like a stock market clicker mm-hmm. that explains here's how much I spend on food this month or this week or today. Uh, here's how much I spend on insurance, uh, <laughs> plumbing, like. Everything that goes into it. Yeah. Here's my literal profit. I'll put it out on the, on the for the world to see. Here's how much I made. Because when you're telling me my food's too expensive, you're saying one of two things. One, I'm super rich and I drive a Maserati. Or two, I'm really bad at business. 
That's what you're saying. Right. Because you're not saying, oh, this is reasonable. Like, I understand there's a lot of, there's, you know, the gas, the propane, the insurance, the the, the labor, you know, uh, the labor for, uh, I have to pay two guys to drive from the commissary kitchen to location. Like, all that stuff goes out the window when you say your food's too expensive. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, how much have cars gone up in the last five years? How, yeah, much have, yeah, yeah. how much has rent gone up? How much, anything, anything you buy. Um, is there anyone in the industry that is doing sort of that transparent kind of approach, whether it's with blogging or social media showing that like, look, everything's not as cracked up as it, it's supposed to be. Um, I've listened, there's, uh, there's, uh, I've listened to a couple podcasts that talked about it. Um, I haven't seen a lot of like chef just go, here's my breakdown. Yeah. Like, I think like, it should be, I think I've, or I've heard, you know, a lot of chefs go, our profit margin is 10%, wow. you know, and that's pretty much it. There's, there's not many industries like this where you work as hard as you do. Um, you know, with, with my restaurant, I basically didn't get to see my kid grow up. I, you know, uh, I, I'm there 17, 18 hours a day, uh, sweating, like putting everything into this. Yeah. And, you know, it just, it's just frustrating to get belittled that quickly. Like yeah. it just, Ah, you're too expensive. Right. Like, <laughs> you don't know how long and hard I've worked at this. Like, do I not deserve a paycheck? Yeah. Do I not, like, as an owner, am I being a dick by having a 10% profit margin? Yeah. Like, uh, the shirt you're wearing right now, like, how much do you think that company made off that, you know? Um, well, and uh, restaurants combine literally everything into yeah. one entity. Yep. You know, you have to... One, you have to be good at cooking food. You have yep. to have a good design sense yep. for your, you know, good yeah. branding. You have to have a uh, an interior that mm -hmm. is appealing. Yep. You know, the interior design aesthetics. You have to be good at customer service. You have to be a people person. You have to think about employees that you have working for you. It's yep. not. It's Social not media, easy at yeah, all. Yeah. <laughs> Yelp, I know, is like a big <laughs> pain in the ass. Oh yeah. Now I, I remember a lot of my like. Uh, mentors were like don't even look at it don't respond yeah fuck that as soon as i care like I, as soon as i was holding the keys i did whatever i wanted i responded to yelp reviews <laughs> it's mostly to do with money stuff and when people are like just i guess i guess my only advice for this thing is like you know vote with your dollars yeah or do some research but realize like you know we are coming like with the food truck we are coming to your front door and we brought enough food that hopefully we won't sell out but not too much so it goes bad and just trying to ride this wave of like, you know, making everyone happy and doing a good product and using the best ingredients. Uh, so just keep that in mind before you go, you know what? I was at the grocery store and I saw this for this much. So this is how much it should cost me. <laughs> you know, that's ironic because comparing Seattle then to St. Louis, I feel like there is more of that philanthropic kind of uh, capitalism going on with food trucks. Cause people in are like St. Louis. Yeah. yeah Cause yeah. like I, Granted, I don't know, but you, I don't ever hear anybody complain about the cost of something from a food truck because cool. they're just like, these this people cool. are trying. Sure. You know, yeah. they're doing it. Yep. It's more so like the food wasn't that good or, yeah, right, or right, right, right. But it's never like, I'm so pissed I paid, you know, 15 bucks for that. Uh, that's, that's awesome to hear. Yeah. It is. Um, it's, well, and it's, you know, it's obviously much smaller. So I think there is more support and people, everybody knows everybody, as you know. Yep. So it's kind of like if you really want to talk shit on someone, you're probably offending at least four of your friends. Right. right. <laughs> I love that though. Yeah. Um, and also keep in mind, like I've been doing street food in Seattle for ten years, right. and um, when I came here and I started with Skillet, I think there was like seven, maybe eight 
non-taco truck. Before that, yeah, yeah. you finished up at the Culinary Institute. Finished up uh, Culinary, um, uh, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, my, my wife now, my girlfriend at the time, got a job up here. Cool. I was like, I'll go check out Seattle. And 10 years later, here we are. Um, was it, uh, what was the starkest difference between going from California to Seattle? Like, uh, uh, in terms of, did you know kind of the layout, what was going on in California? And then you're like, I know nothing about Seattle. Sure. I mean, it, it was definitely out of my comfort zone, but uh, I dug it. Um, right off the bat, like the food scene just kind of attracted me more. I feel like LA, Orange County, you look at a food magazine and it's just pictures of chefs, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, chef, blah, blah, here's this cool knife tattoo. And in Seattle, it seemed like it was a lot more focused on food. And like, yeah. here's pictures of the food because that's what you should care about. Right. You should care about the chef's <laughs> name. Um, not that, you know, to an extent. Was and, uh, it uh, massively more expensive than where you were living? You know, um, I, I kind of cheated on that one because my wife worked at the apartment. <laughs> she got she she works in property management, so yeah. uh, so we got a little hookup on hey, that. So that helped. Smart. That helped. Well, everybody's got to have something like that in the you know their own secret sauce. And then um, <laughs> you know the, the cool thing about the you know not to go too much back into tipping, but with food trucks. Uh, that is a scenario where everyone splits everything evenly. Yeah. So the guy out front taking orders splits, you know, it depends how deep you want to go. It's like, you know, whether it goes to prep cooks and dishwashers, whatever. But, but that was the first time, like as a cook, I started making tips and the harder you work, the more money you make and the busier you are. And so that was, that was cool. Uh, the money was better here. Um, you know, well, and there's definitely a more refined, um, at least back then, the, the, the food truck scene was like starting to become uh, not just street meat and right, right, everything. Right. It was starting to have more of a refined taste and, and palate to it. And, and uh, working for Skillet was one of the coolest experiences because... Are they still around? They are very much still around. Okay. The owner has left. Uh, they have a bunch of restaurants now. And, wow. But, but it was so punk rock. So, so when I moved here, I was like, I'm fine dining. That's what I do. Yeah. And I got two jobs because I was used to working two jobs. I was used to working 80 hours. Uh, and was it still 10 bucks an hour to work uh, in fine dining when you moved up here? In California? Yeah, or up in here? Seattle. In Seattle? No, no, it was much better. It was like okay. 13, 14. <laughs> um, but uh, so I got two jobs. I got a place called, uh, I got a job at a place called Artisanal, uh, which is out of New York. And then um, I got a job at Skillet. Mm -hmm. uh, and Skillet was just my cute job. You know, it was a trailer. We flipped burgers and artisanal was supposed to be my real job. Uh, like two weeks or maybe like two months into it, I walk into artisanal. It's closed down because <laughs> who gives a shit about fine dining and skillet was just this just reminding me of my touring days. People would cool. follow us, like see us driving, follow us, yeah. and see where we were going. Um, it was very like Twitter based, uh, you know. And there was no rules. Like the coolest thing I've, I've seen is like 10 years later, I went to a museum uh, in Seattle and they had a framed picture of a health department form uh, uh, for Skillet from them shutting us down being like, you can't serve food on the street. And that was in a museum. Um, and uh, That'd be a great t-shirt. Yeah, right. Um, but And I remember specifically like cops would come, order food and then shut us down. <laughs> Because they're like, your stuff's awesome. This is so cool. But we don't like, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what the rules are. And so uh, Josh Henderson, who started Skillet, he was the pioneer in, in street food. And so it's been cool to see the rise. And I don't want to say fall. Like our food trucks played out. Sure. Like the yeah. excitement's not there anymore. But it still gives people opportunity to have really reasonable price food at their weddings. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I am... 
I'm happy what we've done. I've done a lot of cool shit with food, with street food, um, you know, catering for like Pearl Jam or Beck and doing concerts. And so it, it takes you a lot of places that you normally wouldn't go. You know, my, my joke was always like, uh, you know, I worked at a restaurant for a long time in California and you look out the window and there's the same bus parked there all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just, there's that goddamn bus. <laughs> uh, and then with street food, the window's always different, yeah. you know? And, and so it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Is that, um, is that true with other cities? Like I know, um, you guys would just kind of float around the big corporate, uh, corporate districts or something or first, first street food. And we went anywhere. Okay. We went anywhere, you know, like, did people would request you on Twitter, say like, oh man, we love, you know, or, or hit you up and say, can you yeah. come service our company? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then were there like food truck Friday kind of things going on or like in so St. Louis? Um, yeah, there's, there's a guy, uh, Ryan reader who, uh, put up, start putting on mobile food rodeos. Mm-hmm. So basically, I mean, it's so funny cause like, uh, I, I saw a poster of the first one and it was like the, the, the seven trucks in mm-hmm. Seattle. It was like skillet where you at Matt, uh, you know, uh, marination mobile and all this stuff. And, uh, it was seven trucks. Um, cause those were the seven trucks wow. in Seattle. Now there's a, f- uh, f- a great food truck website that my buddy runs called Seattle food truck. It's going to be like what? 70 or 700 or how many food trucks? There's there? about 450. <laughs> oh my God. That, that I know that, like last time I checked like two years ago. Right. Um, cause so that was kind of, um, Maybe like right time, lucky moment that you came up here absolutely to work yeah. with one of the yep. seven food trucks that yeah. was happening. Yeah. yeah, and and I just remember driving with Josh Henderson, and he's like, "You'll see, man." And like, because I was in that attitude, I'm like, "I love fine dining. This is my fuck around job." Mm-hmm. And um, he's like, "You'll see. Like, you'll see that catering's a lot more fun than restaurants." And and I'm like, "Oh no, no way!" And like a month into it, I'm like, "This is so much fun." Like. <laughs> Yeah, we're just getting hammered, and, and we 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 do uh you know commercial shoots, so we drive like two hours away and stay in a hotel and do a movie shoot or commercial shoot, and and it was just interesting, and I learned a ton. And uh, it, the cool thing about the food truck thing is, uh, Josh was very adamant about specials and like just mm-hmm. do whatever you want. There's no rules. We're not a restaurant where people come That's in. Awesome. They're like, I want I want the spaghetti I get every you know week. You know, it's do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, you know, um, as long as it's on brand. Yeah, it's on brand. It's good. Right. You know, it just has to be tasty. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's and and I want to say food truck. Like I think like the 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 fun. It's still there, but you just got to find it. You got to figure out other right. avenues. Because because what happened was all these, you know, with the movie Chef and all this stuff, everyone saw the food truck. Uh, they just, Chef made it look really easy. Yeah. So all Still these, haven't seen it, but I need to. But, um, yeah, they, they skip a lot of paperwork in that movie. Um, Is that John Favreau? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and, and so a lot of people saw that movie. A lot of people saw the success of Koji and Skillet. And all mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I could do that. And... It just kind of snowballed, and and so now it's a little bit of, again, Too going much. back. To, well, going back to pivoting, and so so for example, there's some lunch locations in Seattle that are known successes, like near Amazon, near you know downtown Bellevue, whatever. And so instead of people trying to find their own way, they go, mm-hmm. no, I want to go there because that's what everyone else does. So like early on, when I started like my own food truck brand circuses, I was like, we're not going to worry about that shit we are going to focus on catering because mm-hmm. I'd rather go serve a hundred people for this company and know exactly what to bring than go to this 
uh, street food spot and go, if it's raining, we're serving 20 people. If it's a nice day, we're serving 150 people. Yeah. And we have no idea how much to prep. We don't know if we're going to throw away stuff. And yeah. yeah. Is there a lot of food waste when it comes to trucks? Um, the good ones don't, uh, yeah. but it depends like different menus. It's, it's like, a, it's like restaurants, like some restaurants have it figured out. Some restaurants don't, you know, Something else that I've been thinking about, too, is how, um, you know, there was this whole wave of accessibility Mm -hmm. that came with the Internet and ordering things and getting the food brought to you. And now I almost think that people want these uh, experiences to be a little more mysterious. Absolutely. They don't want you uh, or you don't want to know everything about it. Mm -hmm. You want to have to figure it out. There has to be a little more effort in place. And it's almost like a food truck could be hard to find. And like be more know, successful, yeah, right, yeah. you know, and and um, I think that's kind of like how things have balanced again, right? Like people want to uncover new restaurants that they don't know everything about by looking at Facebook and Twitter right. and Instagram, right. right? They want their own secrets again, yep. Uh, which is an interesting counterbalance to how everything, like, oh my god, we all got to be on every single social media platform right. and, right. and show everything under our skirt, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. Eh, it's a little overwhelming. Yeah, I, I would like to see um, is. Either I just don't know about it, mm-hmm. which would be a good thing. That means they're doing a good job. But I would like to see more stuff like that. Like yeah. we've we've had ideas of like doing pop ups and and doing secret things around the city, and and it just takes time and money and 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 drive. And sometimes right. you're like, well, I still got my day job, so I can't do yep. this. Yeah, but, I gotta make money. Yeah, but I would like to see more hidden stuff and and you know uh, surprises and you know it's an easy city to do it in there's a lot of quote unquote foodies whatever that means and um you know i, I would like to see that happen so how many years did you were work at skillet um were you working at skillet before you realized all right i could probably do this on my own sure um actually it's, it's funny uh, i did about 3 years at, at three and a half years at skillet uh it was cool cuz i saw Massive growth. Uh, so it started as a food truck, then a second food truck, then a, a really popular restaurant. Um, and then things just kind of changed like anything and it got a little more corporate. People started coming in. It wasn't as fun anymore. Um, uh, the best thing that happened to me was I got fired um, after three and a half years. And I was told by the guy that fired me, he's like, you'll never do anything with like your cooking career or something like that. Um, so I took that and used that. Uh, I ended up working for another truck after that for a little bit. Uh, and uh, with Skillet, I did a lot of back house stuff, cooking and whatnot. With the next truck I worked for, where you at, Matt, uh, he kind of allowed me to do a lot more front of house stuff. Uh he taught me how to book events, catering. Um, and at that point I was like, wait, like, you know, you just kind of see the money coming in, uh, on the catering things. And, and you're like, you know, I just kind of was like, you know what? I could do this, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just, I, I just knew all the locations. I knew the people, I knew where to get a food truck. I knew that, um, I want to do my own thing and I want to do kind of the, you know, I, I think it's definitely played out now, but like, you know, five, five and a half years ago, the gastro pub thing wasn't totally played out. So mm-hmm. I, I like, you know, I like cooking with beer and, uh, going back to, uh, Haven gastro pub that worked in orange County. Um, like I said, I love those kind of menus. Um, I'm, I'm a little sick of hearing stuff like, Oh, gourmet comfort food with a twist, you know, but, <laughs> but it was cool back then. And, um, so yeah, so just, just kind of jumped head first into it. Uh, 
did when that guy told you that you would never do anything sure. in food or food truck again, did that motivate you or was Absolutely. That, okay. Yeah. Like, Cause I'm the same. Yeah. Oh, I love that shit. I do too. I, I Especially even like people close to me, like my yeah. family members yeah. and everything. Anytime they're like, uh, you know, I when I name my company anti agency, they're like, That's the worst <laughs> name you could ever call an ad agency. I'm like I know, but I'm feeling it. Yeah. You know? no, oh my God. The, the, the pushback I got on Brent circuses. So, uh, for you, you know, if you don't know, Brent circuses is a Roman term, basically mean give the people what they want. It's like mm-hmm. a political thing. So like give them bread, give them circuses and they'll be distracted and they'll vote for whatever. Um, like a more, ma- uh, masculine, let them eat cake. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so there's no food trucks in Seattle that haven't has a name like that. And it is all grilled cheese experience. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Rainy Brothers Barbecue. Right. Uh, you know, you know exactly what they do by the name. Um, and and my thought was, I remember, not that I'm a huge fan, but I remember listening to an interview with someone from Lincoln Park, and they were talking about how like Lincoln Park is a stupid name for a band. Yeah. But you say it so many times. Yep. You associate with the band, and now you just say Lincoln Park, and you go, oh, the band. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I wanted Brent Circuses. I wanted people to be uncomfortable by it. Um. I want people to read it and go, what the fuck does that even mean? Uh, and you go, like, oh, I assume you sell bread. Um, you know, uh, and, and it definitely like my plan worked out because like when we started, I remember we, we do these uh, concerts, these large concerts, and there's probably like uh, 12 food trucks there. And you see people walk by going, OK, uh, they do, you know, they do shawarma, they do blah, 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 blah. And then they see Brent Circus and they walk right past it because they're like, I don't even know what they do. Yeah. And I don't have the brain capacity to figure <laughs> out what they do. Um, and then luckily, you know, with with hustle and drive and and press and marketing, marketing, <laughs> we we got our name out there. And so yeah. now it's not just a stupid name. It's like, no, I know exactly what Brent Circus is. Um, Oh, that's the food truck. Oh, that's the restaurant Two Beers Brewing. That's this and that. Um, and and it was fun. I had uh, one of the uh, main guys at Skillet, this guy, Little Rob, uh, he risked everything. Like, he had a really good paying job at Skillet. He jumped on board with me, and he did all the recipes. I, I made connections, and, and it was a beautiful thing, and I'm, I'm really happy I did it. Uh, and and uh, we accomplished a lot, like I said, like, it's, that was five years ago? Yeah, about five years ago. How big was the scene then? So if it had been seven when you first started doing Skillet, was it like 70 or... Oh, like, no, no. I mean, it was it was up there. It was probably in the 200s. Oh, wow. Um, but I knew the people. Yeah. Um, I knew the people that booked. I knew the locations. Um, you know, after working... So I guess I did about five or six years with other trucks. You have all the emails. Mm-hmm. And you go, hey, this is Sid. Like, do you remember I did this with you with this company? this is my new thing. Can we do it this year? And, uh, was this the first entity you'd created since, you know, your band, I guess, back in the day, this is <laughs> the first thing that was a hundred percent mine. Yeah. You know, that's and, awesome. and that's, that's a big dick thing to have, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, so the, the, the thing you hear the most in a kitchen, uh, you know, uh, is my restaurant will be different. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's when you own your own restaurant, you can do it that way. So you go, hey, chef, like I saw you're doing uh, the Parmesan this way. Here's a little trick. It's like, well, when you own your own restaurant, you can do it that way. So finally, I own everything. Like, And uh, we're going to do whatever we want. Um, and that's what we did. We didn't really have a set menu. Uh, we, we did a lot of specials. We did really silly shit. Um, and uh, it was awesome. Like the, We had a, uh, a restaurant that was inside of a brewery. 
which is I think uh, Forehands does something similar. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is the first time, like, I didn't know anyone's ever thought about that. So I have these really good friends uh, at Two Beers Brewing, and uh, I kind of heard a whisper that they're expanding their tap room and they're doing all this stuff. So I talked to my good friend Dan, who was a tap room manager. I'm like, hey, I'm going to start a food truck. Uh, I hear you're doing this. How would you feel about having a restaurant in your brewery? And he's like, well, I'll run by the owner, but it's kind of a long shot. Like, seems like a like more of a hassle than anything. And then I got the call. He's like, we're in. I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so yeah, it was really cool. Cause like, it makes a lot of sense. It makes I sense. Think. Yeah. Cause they don't know shit about cooking. Right. I don't know shit about beer. Let's hang out together. Yeah. You know? Um, and it was, it was, it's a really great way to start. Cause, um, on one side, we don't get liquor sales, which mm-hmm. is the lifeblood of a restaurant. However, I'm not paying for the bathrooms. I'm not paying for the tables. Right. Um, you know, I'm not, paying for a lot of stuff and and they were Joel the owner of two beers he knew that this is my first thing and he knew he's known me for years and he was he could have charged us triple what he was charging us for like everything he's like no like he just kind of had this attitude of as an entrepreneur like let me help someone else out so uh the whole two beers Seattle cider team was just on board and it was just family and like even though we were totally two separate companies it was cool to like walk into a place that like you're like the little brother, you know, like they are, you know, distributed nationally and they're a huge company and you're a little guy, but like what resources can we use together? And like, it was, it was, it was a really cool experience to, to work with them. Um, and yeah, just, uh, you know, and, and it helped cause like they would book big parties, mm-hmm. but we're the kitchen there. So like, right. We have like guaranteed income from like their parties and some of that. So, so you set up bread and circuses just as a truck at yep. first and then, how far into that? Work? It was always the plan to okay. do the two beers thing, but it was maybe six months later we, cool. we did a build out, um, and it was really cool because uh, you know uh, we we paid everything off within a year, like which is was my was my fear. You know, you hear about so yeah. many restaurants oh, yeah. closing down and, and businesses in general. Yeah, businesses in general. So so yeah. then um, w- there's so many food trucks then starting up. Then yep. was it like okay now I sh- it's cool to go back to a brick and mortar. Um, or did you get, did you, um, did you set up your own, uh, brick and mortar or you're still, or bread, bread and circuses was still at the brewery when. Yeah. It's always been the brewery. So, so basically the way it works is as a food truck, you have to have a commissary kitchen. Mm -hmm. So you can't just like cook shit in your house. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that is a big portion of a lot of food trucks bills because you have to go to, you know, you, you rent a commissary spot with like 20 other trucks and it could be like two grand a month. It could be like three grand a month. Um, this was a scenario where we got a commissary kitchen for the food truck, mm-hmm. but then we also have people operating out of there to sell food to the people that drinking at the brewery. So it's just like, it's basically like paying rent on one thing to get yeah. two different sources of income, um, which is really sweet. Awesome. So you did that for how many years? Five then? years. Five years. Yep. And then recently. So, uh, Basically, near the tail end, um, so honestly, I can't really go too much into it, uh, mm-hmm. but basically, uh, I decided to leave Brendan Circuses uh, for a couple different reasons, It's it's which is, you know, it was weird. It's it's your baby. It's your name. It's, mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily all my recipes, but, you know, it's a lot of it was just my influence, but um, shit happens. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that, mm-hmm. uh, but the, one of the last things we did uh, was we created Ballyhoo Hot Sauce. Um, this started, 
about 10 years ago, like right when I moved here, I met this guy, Gavin, who, uh, who was a tap room manager at a place called Black Raven Brewery, like one of my favorite breweries. And he was actually from the music industry as well. He, uh, he was a guitarist for a band called, um, this Providence. So just kind of like, you know, my food truck would go to his brewery and we'd bullshit like, Oh, you know, this merch guy, you know, this tour manager, blah, blah. So we knew a lot of same people. And now we're in Seattle and, um, we're kicking it. So one day we were talking, he's like, Oh, you like hot sauce? I'm like, I love hot sauce. And uh, he, uh, he gives me a little vial of this like orange sauce. And I remember putting it on my food and I just ran in there. I'm like, one, I need more. <laughs> Two, we got to bottle this shit. And, you know, he, uh, he, his attitude was like, no, this is just a fun thing I do. Like I, 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 I homebrew and he used, he used a little bit of like, I want to say like brewing techniques to make the hot sauce, like a lot of fermentation and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it like, I'm one of those, like, I have a fridge full of hot sauce before this, you know, and, and this is truly the best hot sauce I've ever had. Um, great balance, great citrus, uh, blah, blah, blah. So, so what happened was, I was like, we're going to bottle this someday. He's like, okay, whatever. And then about seven or eight years passes, we, uh, with uh, the, the, the restaurant group that was Brand Circuses and a couple other things, uh, we started working with uh, QFC. And we're doing like little pop-ups inside the inside the grocery store. It didn't really pan out because no one wanted to buy. Food. What? I don't even know what QFC is. Uh, it's a it's like a it's a grocery store. Oh, okay. So kind of you know a big grocery store chain. And one thing they brought up was like, cool, like thanks for working with us on this. Uh, if you guys ever want to do a packaged product, let us know, and like mm-hmm. we can get it on the shelves. Um, so then I go, I have an idea. Let's make some hot sauce. Um, so. Uh, that the QFC thing didn't pan out, but it definitely was the the fire under our ass to be like, no, let's create a hot sauce brand. Um, so uh, I got with Gavin. It was actually like backstage at a Run the Jewel show. We like sat down in the <laughs> kitchen. And I go, here's what I'm thinking. Like, here's how we can break it down financially, and you know, here's how we can produce it. And I don't know what I'm doing, but do you want to trust me? And he's like, I trust you. And so now we're making hot sauce. Um, how long has that been? Like it's been about two years. Wow. Uh, uh, so so initially, like, we wanted everything to kind of be circus-themed, but very yeah. loosely. So, for example, a ballyhoo, uh, other than, like, a shitty reggae band or something like that, it's... Uh, it's yeah, I don't know uh, I've ever heard the name ballyhoo. So ballyhoo uh, is actually, like, when, in a circus, when they do, like, a figure eight with the light over mm-hmm. the audience. Um, or names have some kind of, like, weird circus... Uh, you know, derived from some kind of circus term. Um, and kind of our big thing Why was... Why is that? Is it... Well, it was kind of initially because of the Brent Circuses tie-in. Yeah. Um, and then we just kind of kept on rolling with it because okay, it's, it's, it's funny. Like, if you just Google, like, circus terms, <laughs> there's a whole world out there. Just of like, crazy shit. Yeah, like... A, Jangle uh, Snaker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, uh, well, you wouldn't say that if you knew what that meant. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like the Boss Hostler or the Heat Merchant... Um, <laughs> Uh, that those are like names of our sauces that are also circus terms. Also circus terms, but it's just kind of a fun thing because like if you want to take the time to Google it, yeah, you will. Uh, oh, that that's funny because um, the artwork doesn't really make sense because um, it's like why is this elephant holding a phone and like screaming in it? But if you look up what a heat merchant is, you'll get it. Um, and, uh, and that yeah. speaks to like putting a little more mystery back into it. Exactly. Brand. Like yeah. um, you know when we were designing the packaging. Uh, you know, I, I remember referring to like the, uh, OK Computer, and mm-hmm. if you look at the album OK Computer, if you take the CD out and you take like the back, I don't know what you call the CD insert thing, the tray the, art, the tray, like there was like a little hidden, like some hidden words behind like the yeah. spine, and I love that shit. Yes. I love being in my room, 
and be like, what happens if I take this apart? Yeah. Oh my God. So we kind of, there's some hidden like messaging on the, on the bottles that. I'm a sucker for all that shit. Yeah. Man. yeah. When your jeans have red pockets. Yeah. Only yeah. you know that they have red pockets. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, we, we love doing that kind of shit. And, and, uh, and so it's been a fun ride. Um, so kind of when I sold Brent Circuses at the time, Ballyhoo was a part of it. I go, you know what? I want Ballyhoo. You're going to have everything else. Um, a big reason for that was, uh, you know, we talked about the money thing. Mm-hmm. With Brent Circuses, I can go do like a $3,000 catering. Mm-hmm. And that's great. But I could sell two <laughs> bottles for eight bucks each to people that wanted it. Mm-hmm. And that was more exciting to me. Yeah. So it was just weird. Like I felt like I did everything I could do with the food truck. Like I've catered for the biggest bands. I've catered for all this stuff. We've done everything. Yeah. Hot sauce is new and exciting to me. It's the next next. Um, and I think there's so much opportunity for it for collaborations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing a couple bands and stuff like that. Um, and it's just fun. And you know, with with the food truck, if I book a twenty thousand dollar catering, awesome. But yeah. now I gotta fucking make that happen. I gotta hire new prep cooks. I need to stress out for five days about <laughs> how I'm gonna serve X, Y, and Z number of people with a hot sauce. If tomorrow, if the Seahawks go, hey, we want two thousand bottles in our stadium, I call up our co-packer. Yep. I need two thousand bottles. Make it happen. So it just it's it's the bigger you get, it's it seems like. I could be wrong because when we get huge, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know what I was talking about. But it just seems like a little less headaches. It's not, you know, it just, it just, it just fun. It's less uh, urgency, Mm -hmm. maybe. You know, I think um, that is one of the most interesting things is also being a business owner is you, you you basically are learning constantly. Okay. So it's, uh, there's a whole host of new problems that you have to begin to understand that affect, um, what you don't know. And in terms of running restaurants, like what would be like the biggest learning experience you had from going from uh, the restaurant experience or the, the food experience to the product based experience? Hmm. Um, Oh, basically just, uh, (laughs) I mean, to be honest, when we started, we didn't know how much like USDA FDA stuff you're supposed to have. Um, we didn't know (laughs) we were supposed to take classes, uh, you know, so all the back end. Oh, the back end stuff. Yeah. Um, so I remember like, you know, because we weren't trying to hide anything. We just didn't know. There's like, I'm maybe if we were smart, we would have Googled like, what are all the steps to starting a hot sauce company? But you just didn't. You just start <laughs> making it and you start selling it. And um, so I remember someone stopped by, I think from like the USDA and they're like, we're not mad at you, but yeah, get your shit together. Right. <laughs> um, you you got to do this way different. Um, and yeah. And then, uh, uh, you know, to be honest, our first round of bottles popped they fermented Shit. too much uh the, so, the the screw tops popped off like sometimes the glass would break oh my um God. <laughs> yeah uh and i'm trying to th- so we'd kind of get emails from people like this is the first thing we ever did and luckily it's mostly friends and family yeah but they're like hey uh so i woke up and opened the fridge and <laughs> i have hot sauce everywhere uh and then you just figure it out and you're like thank you scream, god we- you just scream the ballyhoo <laughs> you got ballyhooed motherfucker um <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's all learn experiences, um, oh but it is a fun grind. It is fun as shit to, uh, go to a restaurant and do a tasting and be like, here's our sauces. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of not to sell it too much, but we're not really a burn your face off company. We're looking more for flavor. Um, we do a lot of events like the, uh, the, uh, Portland hot sauce festival where it's like 19, uh, tenths of like 
insanely hot shit and then people get to you and they're like oh you're the pussy stuff and it's, <laughs> which is fine like that seems, and, that seems like a wave with the whole hot one series it's just sure, like yeah you know it's funny but it's not conducive to anything right exactly it's so, like a prank so we do a lot of beer festivals yeah and people come up and they're hammered and they're like oh give me this thing that's gonna make me shit weird and you're like no nope. but you're not gonna buy it <laughs> right. like there's like and don't get me wrong, I'm brown. I love hot shit. I, mm-hmm. I like, you know, I got it from my dad. Like, I can eat really, really hot stuff. But we're looking for something that, you know, similar to like a heat level or sriracha, where it's like you can cover your food in it. And it's going to enhance the flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, so I just tried it for the first time today. Uh, the what's the green one? Jalapeno tomatillo, snake charmer, snake charmer. And I noticed um, first thing I knew was the consistency. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a very light salsa, yeah. In some yeah, ways, sure. and so then I was thinking, I'm like, well, how, how, you know, how do you have a product that isn't treated as a salsa? Like, mm-hmm. is there different preservatives that you're adding to it's, it? To make it's sure? so much vinegar that vinegar. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a pH. So I, I had to take the classes. I learned about <laughs> this shit. Um, so you have to hit a certain pH level to make it shelf stable. For technically, it's good forever, but by yeah. the letter of law, it's two years. Right. Um, but yeah, a lot of vinegar. Lot do you of, have to you know. refrigerate hot sauces nope. or no? Uh, I mean, ours you do not. Okay. Yeah. Some that um, you do. Yeah, which which is great for restaurants because they don't want to deal with that shit. So yeah, that's usually the first questions uh, restaurants ask us. That's interesting because I didn't even notice a specifically vinegary taste. Yeah. So it's I mean, kind of inherent yeah. to the whole hot sauce game is that yep. there is uh, vinegar as a base. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, no, it's 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 a fun grind. It's it's. Lim- or it's unlimited on mm-hmm. what I can do. Um, so like I talk and it's about your own brand again. Yes, yeah, so my own brand. Yeah. So even though right now I'm I'm working like twelve different jobs and just you know uh, like I'm going backwards because like with with owning a business it is so hard to find good cooks in Seattle because I you know I brought up like they can't afford to live here. Now I'm the other end where you know my buddies that have catering companies and they're like, hey Sid, can you help out with this? I go, well I know how much demand there is <laughs> for a good cook, so here's my hourly price. But yeah. um. But yeah, so so it's really cool just having my own thing again with Gavin, and um, and I just like the fact that, uh, you know, the one of the biggest things I miss about St. Louis is the collaboration thing. Mm-hmm. The, uh, hey dude, you make cool donuts. Hey, I'm in a band. Let's make a band donut. You yeah. know, and I feel like it's very difficult to get that done in Seattle for some reason. Like I feel like that started out this way though. Like in what uh, way? Like um, Rogue Brewery. Sure. Okay. You know, yeah. yeah. Rogue yeah. and Voodoo. Yeah. Yep. Uh, which ironically was probably the worst beer I've ever had in my it's entire awful. life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but I, you know, they right. obviously have other amazing beers, but, um, you know, I think that, uh, I guess voodoo honestly was the one probably. Sure. And I mean, I, I could be, you know, think remembering things selectively. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the biggest projects I worked on was the Seattle street food cookbook. Mm-hmm. I had this idea of going, I know everyone in the game. Let's put out a cookbook. I got a publisher, uh, and it was, you know, on one hand, you can kind of say it was like a pyramid scheme. <laughs> on the other hand, you know, you can go, no, just like a Kickstarter. But basically, the idea was, uh, I think I got 50 trucks. Everyone had to put in 500 bucks, and they got 50 copies of the book that they could sell for like 25 bucks. And that helped, yeah. you know, pay for printing costs, whatever. Um, and uh, I've never, it's one of the hardest things I've ever worked on, because it's like, I'm getting you know, two recipes from 50 trucks. Uh, I have to edit it. Uh, you know, I have to, you know, chase these people down. How going, big was the run? I'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, 
we we had this really great uh, writer. The the writer of the book was um, this guy from Seattle Eater. Mm-hmm. So I have to schedule fifty interviews with this guy. Mm-hmm. Do his schedule. People forget about it. Have to reschedule. Um, a lot of back and forth with the publisher. Uh, so we got the the transcript done. Mm-hmm. We got all the interviews done. Got all the recipes edited. Hundred recipes. Doesn't sound like that much, but like when you're working a full time job and you're, you know, with Brent Circuses, we had, uh, you know, two restaurants, a food truck, uh, a hot dog cart. We did the food at the Showbox Theater at, bo- at two different music venues um, on top of hot sauce. So, like, I'm doing all this shit. I'm trying to put Plus out a have family. Plus, oh, yeah, that thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, just, so it just, it was grueling because uh, a lot of these guys are busy as me. So, like, you go, hey, I need this, and they don't respond. Or, like, hey, I need this recipe in this format. They don't give a shit. Like, right. Um, uh, so, essentially, what happened was it was heartbreaking. We have the transcript. We have a photographer lined up. We have the publishing lined up. And then people did the interviews. People sent the recipes. They let me edit it and get approval. But then last minute, like, five trucks were like, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to pay 500 bucks. <laughs> and you're like, this was the deal the whole time. Yeah. So unfortunately, the publisher had to pull out, and the book never got published. Um, and just and th- that's kind of so like I guess it's shitty for me to be like, well, no one likes to collaborate here because 45 trucks were on board. It was yeah. five trucks that fucked us. But um, because of two to three grand. Yeah. So uh, basically, Brendan Circuses slash me. I was there was a couple trucks that were bigger that mm-hmm. didn't. They had a big dick, so they didn't have to go. No, I'm not giving. Like you want, you want me in the book. Yeah. So I was covering about ten of the trucks. Yeah. Like I was like, you know, I will pay your five hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. So I was already like five grand in it. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, it sounds shitty that like it was, came down to like twenty five hundred, but I was stretched out. Um, yeah, I get you. And so yeah, can uh, it still happen or no? So actually, now I hang out with uh, this guy Adam, uh, the the writer, and we we've talked about it. We're like, and. I mean, I would I would feel like if you crowdfunded that, that would be a pretty easy win. It's I mean, it's like anything. Like I was when I got that call, it the five trucks that didn't put up the money were mm-hmm. the hardest to deal with, mm-hmm. but like said they were in, you know, and and so it just it was even though this was probably like three years now, it was such kick in the dick of like I did maybe 300 hours of work mm-hmm. and it's just not happening. Uh, it's a little bad taste in my mouth. And yeah, uh, I, I get what you're saying. Could it happen? Sure. Like we have the transcript. Like I can take out the, you know, we could, there's some new trucks tr- may not exist anymore. Some trucks yeah. might not exist anymore. There's trucks that are new that I could get in and I could figure it out. I'm kind of amazed that doesn't exist already. It may, <laughs> like, yeah, I know. Right. Like, yeah, oh, yeah it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And, yeah. I get it. And, get uh, it. so the same publisher, they put out uh, a, a book called Seattle Cooks and Portland Cooks. And um, to be honest, I'm not even sure I'm supposed to be talking about this, but <laughs> I don't remember what my contract said. But um, but uh, but like it's it, it, like it was another kick in the dick when I saw the Seattle Cooks book come out and like it's in all these stores. And I'm like, that was supposed to be me. That was supposed <laughs> to be. Me. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a learning experience. It, it was sure. It was a learning experience and how to be insanely organized and and you know deal with fifty truck owners. Um, <laughs> anyway, to bring it back to collaboration, so that's that's kind of my bad taste of like, you know, people get drunk 
in Seattle are like, dude, we should totally do this. We should start a band together, you know, or whatever it is. Like we should do this together. And then it never happens. Um, I feel like in St. Louis, I just see it happen all the time. And maybe it's, like I said, it could be selective. Maybe I just happen to see those things where I'm jealous of, but to bring it back to the hot sauce, I want to collaborate with everyone. Yeah. Uh, does a snake bite hot sauce make sense? Who gives a shit? Let's do it. Yeah. Let's make a hot sauce that we wax dip and has a, a, a snake bite on it. Yep. Um, uh, I'm down. Like, what do you do? Like, what do you do? How can we work together? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we've done stuff as like as kind of you know easy as like a wedding. Like, here's your wedding gift. Like, we did a custom label. Yep. Um, we're that doing a beer so festival. Sense. We're doing bands. Uh, it just it's easy enough and it's fun and you know, we can help each other out. So uh, fans of the hot sauce may have never heard of us, you know, a snake bite, for example, uh, fans of snake bite may, may have never heard of Ballyhoo. That's why you collaborate and, and it's fun. Um, How many varieties uh, do you have right now? We have four standard ones. Uh -huh. um, and then we have a bunch of different like special edition ones uh, to bring it back to the, the hot, uh, you know, the in insanely hot stuff. We're doing one uh, called the cool guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's just going to taste like shit, but be like <laughs> ridiculously hot just for those <laughs> And, you know, we'll probably have to get waivers and shit, but. <laughs> Wait, do hot sauces have waivers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. To uh, buy them? Oh, not to buy them, but. Oh, but like to when, when we're doing like a tasting. Gotcha. Um, just be like, this is going to suck for you and go nuts. You know? do you, um, have you messed around with like limited edition hot sauce? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we did we did one. So I put on actually I put on a hot sauce festival a couple years ago or oh, about nice. a year ago uh, with a company called The World is Fun. And um <laughs> And yeah, we did a limited edition one for that. Uh, yeah, we got yeah that we love that shit. Um, I do too. I mean, I've obviously you're a toy collector, right. figurine collector, yeah. and and um, I am I'm getting into art a lot more. It's yeah. kind of started with posters and prints. Sure. And I'm trying to take that idea of limited edition collectability mm -hmm. and apply it to a bunch of different things. Sure. And so I think when people do that, it's super interesting. Uh, it it creates uh, obviously buzz. You know, if the product is good, then people are going to want that specific one. Doing drops. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think um, it has to be organic. Yeah. Like, you can't just slap on, oh, we already made 100 of these, so you have to buy it. I think, you know, with Seattle being such a beer city, you've seen it with that. You've seen people line up at 10 in the morning to get a, a bottle that they only made 200 of. Mm -hmm. And it's organic and it doesn't feel forced. And that's like whenever we do limited edition bottles, we don't want to do it for the sake of like, Oh, you're gonna buy this because it's limited edition. We want it to be. There's a reason behind it. Like we're, mm -hmm. we, we don't want to make this bottle 500 times. We want to do it once. And and you know, if you want to put it on your shelf, great. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I mean, that's that's for me. That's just the. Uh, that's just how I'm built. That's that's where I come from. Uh, you know, I was talking about this the other day where the the album that changed my life was Science Fiction by Uncle. Mm -hmm. you ever, have you ever heard that? Oh yeah. So. So I remember being in high school. I think it came out in 99, maybe 98. Um, and, you know, in St. Louis, uh, it's mostly jocks or whatever. And then so so the the others, like the punk rock kids or whatever, they all hang out together. So so I remember there's like a techno kid. Like anywhere else, like I don't even know what you described me at, at the time. Like I was really into like emo core and corn and shit like that, whatever. But um, <laughs> but we, so we hung out together. And he'd always try to get me into techno. And he'd always burn me CDs, and I was like, "Dude, it's not my thing, man." And then one day he tells me about uh, Uncle, and he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, like I think I think what hooked me was like uh, Tom York's on it, and Jason yep. Newstead from Metallica's on it." I'm like, "I gotta hear this." So one, it's a great album, you know, really got me excited about collaborations, whatever. 
But but the, the reason it changed my life was if you open the inside cover, uh, James Lavelle is wearing a shirt that says Bape on it. And this is 98, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm in St. Louis. So I have no idea what bathing ape is. And I remember just going to eBay, like, or maybe just Googling it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Google, was Google around? Yeah, probably. It was um, Yahoo. Probably. Uh, I think I asked Jeeves. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I asked AOL. What's a bape? Uh, what's a bape? And I just went down this rabbit hole of, what do you mean it's limited edition clothes? Like, I had no idea what the word limited edition clothing mm-hmm. drops. I didn't know what that meant. And I'm on eBay. And then that got me into shoes. That got me into toys. That got me into uh, fandom. Um, so even honestly, yeah, I love the album, but it just—it's just that one picture of James Lavelle in a Bape shirt that just opened my eyes. I'm like, there's a whole other world out there of streetwear and limited edition. Did and you collect a lot of shit when you were a kid? Absolutely not. So really, so uh, uh, I mean, I don't want to say I couldn't afford it. it just, I mean, it wasn't my. Th- thing yeah. I, I mean i guess like yeah like i remember you know i was really into st louis blues and i have a lot of like collect a lot of blues stuff but um you know like right now we're talking a room full of like walls and walls of toys right um and i think i don't want to like make it sound bad like oh my parents didn't buy me toys or didn't buy me shoes but a lot of it is just catching up um yeah. uh you know i i bring up when i was working for 10 bucks an hour working 80 hours those checks paid the rent yeah. and gas. And like, I literally, if we went out to a bar, I was stressed out about buying two $5 beers. Cause sure. I was like, is this going to go into my, so for the first time, you know, you have disposable income. I have disposable income. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's just funny cause it's kind of a gift and a curse. Like I want to say a little part of me died. There's, there's one pair of shoes I always wanted. And those were the Dunkles. Mm-hmm. The, so uh, uncle, the band, or the group, uh, they came out with a pair of dunks uh, mm-hmm. that it was black and pink, beautiful, and it was such a beautiful shoe that sneakerheads got really into it. So people that aren't even fans of the group <laughs> just wanted it because such a beautiful colorway, and those were always my grail. And I remember like the the day I go, you know what? They're very expensive, but I have this money in the bank. I'm gonna do it. It kind of like. It was like my rosebud, you know, like it, I want to say like a, a little part of me died that day. Cause I was like, once you got it, there's nothing else I want. Yeah. Like it's such a ultimate first world problem to have. But as someone that's like a toy collector, shoe collector, like everything, like this has always been the grail. And it's like, once you get that grail, you're like, fuck man, what's next? You know, which is also an exciting place to be. Um, cause now what is next? You know, <laughs> is it, is it, Oh, like, you know, a dream of mine would be to do a run the jewels hot sauce. And like, so let's chase that dream, yeah. you know? Um, uh, you know, so maybe that's, that's my new Avenue. So like going so hard on the toy collecting and then the shoe collecting and like, I've hit my mark and you know, what's next. You know, my, I think my favorite thing was that you always wore the shoes too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you didn't yeah. just keep them in yeah. a closet. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I get it. I mean, I can't really talk shit about people that keep everything on ice because <laughs> I have, I have a bunch of toys and boxes that yeah. we're looking at, but, <laughs> but for shoes, like that's the whole point. Like yeah. I, you can argue about this all day. And I got, I got, um, I got two pairs or three pairs. I keep on ice. Uh, one, the Dunkles, I'll never wear those. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, going back to John Oaks, uh, he managed this band called Head Automatica, which was uh, Daryl from Glassjaw's like uh, Side band. project. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and same deal. They came out with a, a shoe that I think they made eighteen of. Mm-hmm. Same deal with the Dunkel thing, where uh, all these sneakers heads love the colorway, like the 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 um, they the knew fabric. Shit about Head Automatica. 
Yeah, they didn't know anything about Hera Monica. They just loved the colorway and the the material. Um, so it's, it's, if you Google like Hera Monica Dunk, there's a bunch of articles about it, not even talking about the band. Just like this is the greatest colorway of all time, and I've seen it go for you know four or five figures. Um, and and uh, so I remember he had a pair because he was a manager, mm-hmm. and he just had it like collecting dust in the storage area. And I remember I just literally. When I worked for him, I just go stare at it. Stared at it for literally like twenty minutes. Like, this is the most beautiful shoe I've ever seen in my life. So like, you know, I worked for him for a while, and we we kept in touch. And he just texted me a picture of it one day. He's like, uh, "Is it time to sell these or not?" And I'm like, and I'm sitting there like just kind of heartbroken, just like, I don't know, you do what you want, man. I don't care. And he's like, "Make me an offer." And uh, uh, I made him an offer that was way too low but what i could afford and um he just goes okay i'll make you a deal you gotta pay for shipping and you can never sell these and i go deal so now i now that's my other grail yeah those are funny things because it is um you know they're inherently uh ridiculous yeah oh yeah and mine was a hummer okay so uh, grow a job in the car <laughs> still have not gotten one of those uh from you eBay. Uh, <laughs> you get <laughs> you get services on eBay. <laughs> no like uh like the military hummer yeah and i was a kid and you would just see this car before they started mass producing them and i'm like that is the coolest shit i've ever seen <laughs> i'm not even a car person right, right, right. and i'm like i like the design of it was what really captivated me. It was one of the first designs of anything that I remember being like, that big hunking piece of shit is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And so when I finally got to a certain age and had <clears throat> enough disposable income, I bought a Hummer from the government. Nice. And it's the silliest. Like, <laughs> like people are constantly saluting me. It's the biggest head turner. It turns more heads than a Lamborghini. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, yeah, what's yeah. up? You know, like, and if you only knew who I actually was. Right. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm, all, I'm constantly thinking, I'm like, oh, man, I should maybe fly like a rainbow flag behind it or something. <laughs> I did have an American flag behind it, and so I tore it off and threw it on the ground. Oh, no. Douchebag. But um, wait, wait, someone did that? Somebody or- did that at a party. You did that? No, I didn't do that. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. Okay. I had an American flag because, right. you know, I'm a big fan of... The symbol of the American flag sure. for all its problems and its potential. Absolutely. And somebody ripped it off and like stepped on it. And I'm cool. like, geez, you're Dicks. a giant douchebag. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I got it, I'm like, I don't really need any other fluffy kind of purchases. Sure, yeah. I'm like, I got this Hummer. It's ridiculous. It actually didn't even cost that much. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. Like my materialism has been um, sated. Yeah. And I don't, I don't yeah. need to buy any other things. Yeah, no, it's, 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 um, it's, it's funny. Like you think about, uh, I constantly think about what my parents were like at 37. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know for a fact they didn't have a basement full of toys. Right. They didn't have 300 pairs of shoes. They moved to this country. They saved all their money so me and my brother can have an education. Um, and just different. It's just different. But like sometimes I'm like, am I an adult? Like, no, I'm a kid, you know, like, like when I, when I started a company, I'm like, everyone should be so proud of me. Cause this 12 year old boy started business. Wait, I'm not 12. Fuck. I'm 37. Of course I should be starting own, my own business. Like this, this is an adult thing to do. Um, but, but it's just different. And it's funny how you just scratch different itches, itches than your parents did. And, and, uh, you know, you can't really compare the two cause it's a different life then. You know? Were you like, born in the States? 
Yeah, I was yeah, I was okay. born in, in Missouri. Um but my parents moved over here. Uh so I'm first generation. Right. Um How old were they when they moved? Like 30ish. Yeah. You want to hear a funny story about that? Yes. Um, so, so me, and my my parents were very education driven. Yeah. Like, I as mean, it seems like a lot of, um, uh, what's the term for you know immigrants? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are um, because it's like you're coming to America. This is the land of possibility. Yep. American dream. Yep. And so my kids are not going to blow this chance. Exactly. And they're going to get shit done. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so. You know, and they went hard on it. So, like, I specifically remember, like, weekends, like, Friday night was the library, like, Saturday sun study all day. Like, just, and, and there was no, like, study smart. It was just, like, hard. As yeah. hard as you can go. Keep on reading. Just everything. Read, yeah, everything. Um, and, and, uh, fuck, what was the point? Um, oh, so, so, you know, that was just kind of my relationship with my parents, which is, like, education, education, education. Uh, when I started touring with bands and stuff, they didn't love it. Yeah. Um, but then they kind of chilled out um, and they're like, okay, this is what he's going to do. I was a second kid, so I think I got a little bit easier than my brother. Um, What's he do? Uh, he he uh, does like, he works for an insurance company in okay. California. Um, so more standard type more of sta- Yeah, very yeah. standard kind of thing. And then, um, so it's funny. So I remember uh, in St. Louis, this like 15 years ago, I got a DUI. I mm-hmm. got pulled over while drinking and I just remember going, well, my dad's going to kill me. You know, and I remember like I was just I was you know you get depressed you get bummed out you're like dude I fucked up like yeah. um I let people down uh so I just but remember for, like, for people that aren't from St Louis listening oh, yeah. to this it's um <laughs> it's it not, part of growing up is getting your first DUI <laughs> that and it is it's funny but it's not because it is. Definitely socially acceptable to drink and drive in St. Louis. Yep. It's a very boozy city. It's an extremely boozy city. We're one of the six states with the loosest liquor laws. We're called a blue state. And it's uh, it's not even like a wink nod kind of thing. (laughs) It's like people drive hammered all the time. And it's fucked up. I'll be the first one to admit it. Um, But I have before as well. You know, I totally admit that. And there are even so many stories of people that I know getting pulled over by cops and the cops are like get your ass home dude i re- yeah absolutely <laughs> like, like i remember the first time i saw that like the guy the, the cop just yelled it's like slow down yeah it's like this dude is blackout drunk <laughs> right but anyway. so that is that is what it is you <laughs> right. know it's so, a, it's a fucked up situation yeah. it's you know it's one of those things that you don't know unless you move there yeah <laughs> and uh like i don't it's not even shocking in the least to hear me to hear that you've gotten one right you know? right yeah. i know people that have four yeah five i'm serious <laughs> it's i mean it's baseball and budweiser that's what we yeah, do there yeah um anyway so i remember my dad came in my room and he just starts telling me about this whole other side i never knew <laughs> about his drinking days because when my brother was born he quit drinking and turns out he was a raging alcoholic Jeez. and uh and so he told me a couple stories. Uh, you know, he he told me like he literally drove a car into a house, and the cop was like, "Are you okay to drive home?" Um, but uh, in but, in the states, in the states, yeah. Oh my God. But here here's the best one. So so parents move over here. Um, my dad's a little more outgoing. He, he's a lot like me. Uh, my mom's a little more you know introvert. Mm-hmm. So uh, my dad's at a bar. It's Halloween. Uh, my mom's at home, pregnant with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Is that what? I, yeah. Okay. So maybe my dad quit drinking when I was born. But um, <laughs> now that I think about it, now it makes sense. But so somehow, uh, so keep in mind, my Does mom. Does he care that you're telling? Mean, uh, no. Um, no <laughs> this is a great story. So, um, <laughs> so keep in mind, my mom has no idea what Halloween is. I don't think they have Halloween in Sri Lanka. I don't know. Um, <laughs> at least not to the extent we have it here. Right. Uh, so my dad's at a bar, gets hammered drunk, uh, somehow acquires a gorilla costume. <laughs> Which is like a story I would tell. Like, yeah, I got hammered and somehow I ended up in a gorilla costume. I don't know if he wasn't wearing pants or if he took off his pants, but he loses his keys in the process. <laughs> so uh, he decides to go home. In a gorilla costume uh, with no keys, like slamming on the door at two in the morning. My mom opens it, sees the gorilla stand there with no concept of Halloween or costumes or anything, like freaks out, slams the door, called the cops. I think after that, my dad got sober. <laughs> like, I think that was, I think my mom's like, all right. That's what it took. That's what it took. Yeah. <laughs> like, even, even at my drunkest, I don't know that like I lose uh, a lot of logic. You know, like I, if I was going home to my wife and, you know, we were immigrants and, and well, it's like, well, my, so like, as I've grown up, I've realized how much like my dad I am and yeah. like, he has my humor and I have his humor. And I think a, a big part of that was also like, let's fuck with her. Cause I mean, <laughs> I fuck with my wife. Okay. Like, I, you know, I, I like to, so he knew what he was doing. I either. think a little bit what I think, I don't think he knew when he, oh, that makes, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's stupid of me to even think that he didn't know what he was doing. Oh, <laughs> How do, like, I can't get this thing off my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, you know what? I probably have some stories like that, though, for sure. Uh, the more that I think about it, you know, it's it's hard to remember the easily forgotten stories. Yeah. <laughs> well, until someone else tells you. That's... Yeah, and they're like, "Remember that time that you did this?" And you're like, "Oh shit!" That's yes. that's what's really sad is when someone tells, like, you know, someone like you that you know I might have known you for 15 years, and yeah. and then you bring up a story of like, "Do you remember that one time at the bar you did this insanely funny thing?" And you're like, oh my god! I used to be so good. I used to be so funny, man. I, <laughs> I wish I was that creative still. God damn it! <laughs> no, but it's not even that. It's just that you, you know, different things start to matter. It's not. You oh know, yeah. Getting yeah. blackout isn't that fun ever. Sure. Sure. And so you realize that, and then you got got to make money. You can't just float by on uh, promoting bands and making ten bucks oh, yeah. a day. Yep. Yep. No, I mean kids is the best thing you can do and it just changes your you're no longer just you yes. like even when you're married you can do a little bit of like oh it's just me like, yeah, yeah, yeah and and then it is it's a daily thing like there's no you don't you don't get days off you know it, it, all, it all changes um but you, you, for the good yeah do you go back to sri lanka at all yeah i mean i got i got married there yeah um and uh haven't been back since so about uh seven years ago i think um and then, uh, did you go a lot when you were a kid and growing yeah, up? Yeah, I think I want to say I've been about four or five times. Um, what did it feel like when you were going? Like knowing that, like, I am Sri Lankan. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not, yep. you're not, you're not like uh, association like most uh, Americans feel about Ireland or something. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, so I want to say early on it was like the same thing that we talked about earlier. Just kind of like I don't want to be in America. I want to eat McDonald's. Um, <laughs> and so I don't think I appreciated it mm -hmm. as much. Uh, and then the last couple of times, like there is probably 4% of me that would love to move there. Yeah. Um, uh, you just kind of appreciate a different, and like, which would 
make my parents die immediately because they just <laughs> did all this work to get over here in the first place. Um, but uh, but it is beautiful there, and and you know just white sand beaches and beautiful resorts and and you know sure there's a lot of problems and like a lot of you know it's a third world country so yeah. um but but does the food influence you at all in what you do or is yeah i mean my so fav- absolutely so so you know typically gastro pubs have a, some kind of indian influence because like you know from london and blah blah, blah. Yep. um curry at, yeah absolutely yeah. like curry fries and um so that was a really fun thing to inject into into our our menus now and then um something i'm doing uh in a couple of weeks is i'm doing a pop-up uh where i'm doing a dish called kutaroti mm-hmm. which is a sri lankan street food um it's basically just drunk food it's like carbs mm-hmm. spice meat that's it uh <laughs> and it's really cool because what they do is they have these giant flat tops and um they basically throw these ingredients so roti is like it's not really like a naan, but it's just basically like a flat bread. Mm-hmm. Like a, um, so the kind of bread, so you chop that up and then you throw like cabbage and whatever curry. It's, it's typically like leftovers. Mm-hmm. You throw like onions, jalapenos, um, all this stuff in there. And just, uh, you hear it. Uh, so you're drunk. It's, you know, late night and just listen for that clank of <laughs> and people have these, uh, basically like a dough scraper. If you know what that is, like two of them and mm-hmm. they're just chopping the shit up, put scoop it in a bag, tie it up, gone. Um, it's something that hasn't really been. Uh, I I haven't seen it in America a lot. Like I know my parents will go to Canada and find like the one place that hasn't bring back a bunch. But um, that's something I want to kind of inject into because I think, you know, it's to be honest, it's kind of an ugly dish. It's all brown. You know, it's like it's that it's that uh, it's, not, it's not aesthetically pleasing. It's aesthetically pleasing. But when you're hammered and you're just eating a bunch of carbs and like spicy meat, um, it's amazing. So uh, something I want to work on is, is kind of figuring out how to like not Americanize it, but just make it a little bit cleaner and mm-hmm. and um, and do that stuff. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I and you know I did a lot of like I hate the word fusion. It just like it just yeah. seems like a smaller version of confusion. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> but it was fun kind of doing that stuff. So we do like a lamb curry poutine or uh, we did like a, a spinach paneer quesadilla. And um, yeah, no, I, I love it's funny because like I feel like a lot of kids from Asia and India and all this stuff do the same thing where they grow up. They want McDonald's. They want potato chips. And then they kind of embrace like, oh, yeah. no my culture has amazing food, you know, and, and has, uh, it's so rich and it's, it's, it's all, a lot of it's based on just being, you know, using the cheapest cuts of meats and not having a lot, of, you know, using a lot of leftovers necessity. necessity. Yeah. And, um, and you kind of go back to that and you're like, no, oh, there's some cool stories behind the food. And, and, uh, yeah, you just kind of do a 360 and you're like, no, like this is what I want to focus on. I don't want to cook burgers anymore. I want to, I want to learn more about that. You know, it's funny. I, I remember telling my parents, I was like, I'd love to go to Sri Lanka and just go stage. Like we mm-hmm. talked about earlier. And my parents were like, that's not a thing. They don't, <laughs> right. they just look at you like you're an asshole. Like you want to come work and cook for free? Get the fuck out of here. You prick. <laughs> like, um, we do this cause we need to make money. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, uh, yeah, you, you all go, you know, we have to go back to the island kind of thing. Uh, and and I'd like to I'd like to explore that a little <laughs> that bit. That's a lost reference. That's a lost reference. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I I think it's interesting that you haven't really um, used it, or not necessarily used it isn't necessarily the right word, but like, um, you know, like you have a lot of influences, and it's never been like I'm the Sri Lankan person. You know, sure. It's like <laughs> I'm interested in all this interesting shit, mm-hmm. and and I you know. I don't know. You don't have to fall back on it. 
Right. Um, is it something that like you would incorporate later, like into your hot sauces, or even maybe a like a brand or a restaurant? If it makes sense. Um, yeah. So so here's the thing. So uh, this company called Where You At Matt that I worked for for a long time. I'm kind of helping them out now. It's a Creole food truck. Mm-hmm. Creole food, New Orleans cuisine is one of the best things in the world. Um, I love it. I love po' boys. I love jambalaya. Um, however, working for him for so long, because I think I worked for him for about three years before this stint, um, and it kind of got to the point where you couldn't, you couldn't really, you know, go too far from that. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of, it was, it was almost like um, constraining because like everything had to be Creole. Uh, so I don't really want to get that be in that position of like opening a Sri Lankan restaurant yeah. and be like, this is all you're doing for Stuck. the rest of your life. Yeah. I'd rather have a dumb name like Brendan circuses and be <laughs> like, I don't know what that means. Cool. Cause we do everything and we'll do whatever we're feeling that day. So, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to be held down by anything. So could, would we do a Sri Lankan curry flavored hot sauce? If it made sense. Yeah. Uh, if, if we recipe tested and, and did it for the sake of making a good sauce. Um, however, with hot sauce, you kind of want to be more complimentary than like, you know, the right, exa- standing out too exactly. Much. Yeah. So, so for example, like our, our habanero citrus uh, goes amazing with like Indian Sri Lankan food because of the contrast. So, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of citrus and some of that, and it brightens up spicier food. So, you know, that's kind of more exciting to me than just being like blatant and be like. We throw a bunch of curry powder in the hot sauce, you know. Um, but if it makes sense, you know. Well, and that's, um, you know, the big thing I think with interesting brands nowadays is you were talking about the collaboration aspect and could there be a snake bite, you know, hot sauce. Mm-hmm. But brands are also becoming these weird vehicles for all sorts of things. Sure. So it's like you have maybe your flagship product, whatever yeah. it may be, and then it kind of opens up into whatever you want it to be. Sure. And everything is kind of starting to make sense. I think that's kind of like a, I think that's a benefit of the explosion of everything that we were talking about earlier right. in the yeah. beginning. Yeah. You know, it's like you want to support these people that you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, you know, a billion brands being created every day and there is no limit to them anymore. Yep. You know, and so it's kind of, that's kind of an awesome side of it. You know, and, and even with the bands and doing the 18 pairs of dunks, yep. you know, all of this cross collaboration, I think, um, ultimately makes more things, int- more interesting things. Well, more things in general, and more then things more, in general, yeah, and, and more then, interesting yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, where do you see it going right now? I mean, you, you're sticking around with these collaborations, trying yeah, to get some um, big acts. I mean, the, or the, big the, bands and stuff. Involved. I mean, that's more fun. Like to yeah. be honest, we don't make exactly. a ton of money off sure, that yeah, because yeah. you can't, you know, with the cost of the bottle and the label and graphic designer and all this stuff. Like, you know, our, our bottles might end like a single bottle might end up costing us like three bucks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you tell a band, like, oh, you can sell them for 10 They don't want to spend more than, like, three fifty four on a bottle. Mm-hmm. So it's not, like, really a moneymaker. So yeah. so the amount of time it takes to make a 1000 bottles to graphic design it or label, if we're making a 1000 bucks, I don't want to shit on a 1000 bucks. It's a lot of money, but yeah. it's also a ton of work. Um, so that's not – the idea is just, um, you know, small s- small victories and just get it everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to get rich by – selling a case or, you know, selling 10 cases to, uh, Tom Douglas, you know, or any restaurateur, I'm going to get rich by having it in 5,000 restaurants across right. America, quantity. um, yeah. quantity and just not, I mean, it's cool. Cause we don't have to budge on what we think tastes good, our branding, any ideals. Um, you know, like if Amazon called me tomorrow, it's like, Hey, we're releasing a new echo. We want you to make a 
hot sauce that has the Echo brand. Fuck it, I don't give a shit. Pay me. Um, uh, it all makes sense. It's all fine. Like I don't. I just feel like there's, you know, it's not like being a band where someone called me a sellout. Like no, I start a business so I can make money. Um, you you sold out. You made a dollar. Um, well, even bands today don't even really sell out anymore. No, there's no like, such thing. The concept oh, is gone. There, there was like a little transition time where people. St- we're downloading music, but yeah. still called band sellouts. Like, oh, they did a Honda commercial. Fuck them. <laughs> Fuck you. What did yeah. you do for them? Why well, listen to their album on you know on Napster? Like, <laughs> you're so such an idiot. Like, you just don't get it on a daily basis what these people go through. Uh, yeah. So, so it's. I mean, it just like I said, the world's the oyster as far as what we can do. Um, if we're not doing collaborations, we can always push hot sauce in different restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can get into different cities, counties, countries. Um, any like, yeah, uh, let's just keep on having fun. Like, I think it's just a more, you know, like by the time I left Brent Circuses, it was more less fun than fun. Yeah. Um, with the hot sauce, if something gets boring, just shift a little bit, pivot. Right. You know. Go like start working on that. Run the jewels hot sauce. Fucking make it. <laughs> send it to him. Be like, hey, you want to make a thousand of these? Um, yeah, and and so it just it's a very, you know, it feels like a video game, like you know, a giant video game where we can do whatever we want. Yeah, and it's cool that you have a vehicle that you can align your interest to because hot sauce is so, um, you know, it's everywhere. So I, I read something that said the the hot sauce industry is growing. 40% a year with no end in sight, which I mean, I mean, there is a lot of hot sauce. There's a lot of hot there. sauce. Yeah. And so how hard is it to have your brand make an impact in that you know, like crowded field? Sure. I mean, luckily, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to shit talk too much, but like yeah. a lot of these guys are, you know, making in their basement. Mm-hmm. So like somewhat illegally Two, they have no access to graphic designers. So they have a fucking stupid skull and crossbones yeah. or, or, you know, an asshole on fire. Um, Which sometimes can actually work to your benefit. Sure. If you're, you know, I I think of a lot about um, what I call like lowest common denominator design right. Right. and appealing to, um, you know, a general population. Sure. And there is, you know, just out of necessity, sometimes cre- people create really recognizable art, not because they know what they're doing, right. but right. because it's just, it's like, well, I like, color red and that yep. font yeah sure um but luckily i have the restaurant connections yeah. i have i just have a lot more connections uh just because you know it's not like i just owned a restaurant i owned a mobile restaurant that went yeah. everywhere yep. so there's no reason for me to not sell hot sauce to anyone mm-hmm. so literally like my comments like what do you do how do we work together um uh you own a bike shop can i sell hot right. sauce in your bike shop <laughs> why not like yeah. Uh, we'll figure out a way why it matches, but you know, um, is there, uh, levels of like awareness? Like does, uh, a new hot sauce come out, people are hyped about it and then just kind of fades. Like, it seems like it takes a lot to be, you know, at the level of a, I don't know, obviously Tabasco, but, um, something that is, you know, that has lasting power, lasting brand Um, recognition. We... Like you don't want to be somebody that's just like flashing the belly who's right. everywhere. Right, 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 right. And then it's like So yeah. luckily, first of all, we have like I know a lot of people say this, but we truly have the best fans. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of beer events because mm-hmm. I was an easy in because yeah. my food trucks went to the uh, all the beer festivals and stuff. So it's just an easy call, like, hey, I'm doing this little side project. Can I bring a tent to the end? And so luckily, 
and especially with Gavin working at Black Raven, uh, people know his face and they know his product. Uh, they knew him before he started the company. Um, so luckily we just have a good fan base and we see, you know, and we do maybe four of them a year. Mm -hmm. So it just works out where people come up. It's like, dude, thank guys. Thank God you're here. Cause I just ran out of my last bottle. And, and so that's, that's nice. We have a nice base. And then I don't think it's like anything. I don't think it's like anything where, um, uh, there's any, there's no such thing as overexposure in my mind with the hot sauce. It is not your favorite band where you have to gatekeep it and be like, oh, this was mine first. No one's ever going to say, I like this hot sauce first. It's bullshit that they're <laughs> everywhere. Uh, and if you do, yeah. you have bigger problems. But um, yes, I don't I don't see overexposure being an issue. Um, I, I want to be everywhere. Yeah. I want uh, I want to do the right choices. I want to work with people that I think are cool. I I don't know. I don't. I, I really don't see like as we grow bigger and the more time I put into it, um, uh, any like I just don't see making a bad choice unless I do like the Trump sauce or so, you know. Um, <laughs> It'd just be completely bland just, because it has no Mexican influence. I, 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 <laughs> I I just lost some fans. I said. You know, it's funny. Um, so. One of my favorite things to do. How did this happen? Um, it doesn't really matter how we got here, but basically, I don't know. I was, you know, Facebook's so easy to talk political bullshit on. It doesn't. Yeah. No one's going to change anyone's minds. Blah blah blah. But I think something popped up. I made a comment. Some motherfucker had the time to go through my profile. Oh my god! Find out I own Ballyhoo. Then go to Ballyhoo's page <laughs> and go. We'll never buy this product. Uh. Uh. The owners are involved politically, you right. know, or like I don't, you know, something like that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I on my personal page, I made a comment about politics, and now you won't buy my hot sauce. Like, <laughs> you went down the rabbit hole. Um, There's the politi uh, politicalization of fucking everything mm -hmm. now, you know. And it's um, I'm in the same boat because I have um, my product is appealing to like uh, you know, I guess. You could call it a hipster audience, sure, and also to like a military, yeah, yeah, uh, so right wing. Yeah, tread carefully. Yeah, I kind of because at the same time I'm like, um, I think it's kind of because um, if the person knows who I am and if they talk to me and if they ask me my thoughts on something, I'm not going to come out with some crazy polarizing statement of sure. like either fuck Trump or right. or fuck. Uh, the opposite of Trump, <laughs> whatever else. that would yeah. be. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck reason. <laughs> um, and it's you know things are just complicated, and uh, there needs to be more nuance in conversation. Mm -hmm. um, people need to not take social media uh, statements out of uh, and and throw them against other people. Like there needs to be these more long form conversations and content that people need to like devote more than a passing Reddit glance to, right. you know, in yep. order to understand things. That's the whole problem with why uh, people get pissed off at each other online is for lack of nuance, mm -hmm. you know, and typically it's probably an older population that's on the internet right. that's right. like, what is this thing? I'm going to yell at my niece for posting a picture <laughs> of her cleavage. <laughs> um, so I feel like we could talk all day Absolutely. about everything. Um, you, it's kind of endless. I like that. I definitely want to keep in touch with you. I want to know what's going on with Bollyhoo. Uh, I think we probably have a couple company ideas uh, between the two of us together. <laughs> yep. um, what's um, we already talked about? What's next? I just 
don't know. I'm just curious as to always what you're interested in. You got good taste. You're interested in interesting things. Um, I think you're one of the most uh, unique entrepreneurs I know because it's not like, I don't think, I fucking hate that word, number one. And you don't really talk about the entrepreneur life either. You just do shit. Right. And I'm more about that. Mm-hmm. I'm a do shitter. Although now I have a podcast where I've interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs, <laughs> so I'm kind of shooting my foot and myself sure. in the foot right yep. there. Yep. Um, what's your like? Just I don't know blanket idea when it comes to that and making money and doing the things that you want to do. Uh, do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Be early. Mm-hmm. Like a cooking thing is, if you're not on time, or if you're on time, you're late. Yep. But say please and thank you. Yeah. Be kind. Don't be a dick. I saw something over there. It was uh, what? What's the brewery that you have oh, on the wall? Uh, Flying dog. Yeah. What does that say? I li- I like that. It, it uh, reminded me of you when I read that. Uh, stand tall, never eat shit, conquer the fear. Well, that's uh, a little. That's a little over the top, but. Uh, it's uh Ralph. So Ralph Steadman does all the artwork. For oh me. yeah, I know. I noticed it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's got the fear and loathing kind of feel to it. But I mean, yeah. I mean, in a, in a nutshell, I want to say everything I ever got in was from saying please and thank you. Yeah. Um, and working really fucking hard. Like well, people, I mean, but showing up and saying what you're gonna, you know, doing what you're saying, you're gonna say you're gonna do. You're gonna, yeah. It's real easy to, you know, make a bunch of promises. But the reason why I get calls, why I get those big calls of like, hey, we know you're good and we know you're gonna show up and we know you're gonna kill it, is because of my my track history. Yeah. You know? So just say please and thank you. Show up on time. Yeah. Uh, my favorite quote is, the uh, the hustle is free. Or no, the dream is free. The hustle is extra. You know. Um, I don't know. That's it. Yeah. Say please and thank you. There That's it is. It. What's uh, where can we find you? Uh, um We're really bad at social media because we're old, <laughs> but at some point we'll hire someone to do that. Uh, yeah, I mean you can you can buy us online, uh, ballyhoohotsauce.com. Um, I think we're on Amazon. Uh, if you're in Seattle, you can you can find everywhere we're sold. Uh, hopefully you're gonna start selling hot sauce in St. Louis for us. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, and and I guess if you own anything or you're a human being that has a heartbeat, uh, call us. We'll collaborate with you. Awesome. Well, we had about 20 stories before this podcast started and probably going to have 20 more after it ends. I'll never get tired of talking to you. Every time I'm here, I think we should do a podcast. Or if you're in St. Louis, I think it'd be great to do it there. So I appreciate you. Appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for everybody listening. Go Cards. Ended with a bang, didn't it, man? Sid's got it down. His success motto is right on the money. I completely agree with it. Work hard. Be nice. That's really all it takes, doesn't it? Uh, And, you know, we touched on some things there, ironically, before I even knew what was going to take place this summer. Uh, Namely, the politicizing of everything. And how it it just kind of gets in everywhere and infects everything just a little bit. And it's pretty unnecessary, I think, personally. Um, more to say on that later, but I, I just loved listening to this conversation, and it's, um, you know, it wasn't a struggle at all because he's just funny and quick, and clever as hell. So I hope to have a lot more conversations with Sid and other people that are also funny, quick, and clever as hell. Uh, I got another podcast hopefully coming out this week. And then just going to keep ramming them in. That sounded rather graphic, didn't it? Uh, 
slotting them in. Now that don't work either. Uh, scheduling them in and getting them done. Oh yeah. Okay, there we go. Trying to get my podcast riffing back in effect so I don't sound like a moron. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, that's uh, one more awkward outro for y'all. Hope you dig it, and I will talk to y'all in the future. Peace out. Thank you.